0: Okay, hi everybody, this is Stefan Molyneux, and we're doing a bit of a show outside of the regular old schedule. I guess we could say, probably fair to say, that we have a listener in crisis, and I don't normally do crisis stuff, but uh, this listener, I had to trust my gut and say, it's worth having the conversation. I mean, it always would be worth having the conversation, but I'm not a crisis guy. I'm a sort of long-term, lay-the-seeds-in, philosophical preparation kind of guy, But anyway, uh, for for better or for worse, I think it'll be for better. I decided to make an exception tonight, this night, the 10th of December 2020. So without any further ado, let's uh, bring... James, you want to just sort of talk a little bit about the backstory of uh, how this came about?
1: So the listener writes, Stephbot, I feel like a lifeless husk. My depression is hitting levels that I would consider peak. The constant thought of abandoning everything or even killing myself is taking the front of my thoughts like it has for years and years before, but this time I have a one-year-old son. No progress in my life has ever slowed this feeling down, rather provided temporary relief. I make good money. I have been with my wife for ten years. I can afford to keep her home with my one-year-old son, and I am valued at work. All signs point to a wonderful life, but inside I burn alive in rage, self-hatred, and self-doubt. I tried therapy this year with two different people, and I found them useless, to the point of evoking rage in me. I'm afraid the only thing holding me together most of the time is my work, and right now it's bad. Just to be clear, I am an alcoholic. When work is bad, I drink. When my wife is gone, I drink. When I take care of my son all day, and I don't have the boobs he wants, I drink. When I say I drink, I mean I drink one liter of wine, or a 100 ounces of light beer, or three quarters of a fifth of vodka, or a combination of all of it. I have the bloodline of high-functioning alcoholics, and it's a terrible curse. I can't count the amount of hungover days at work or the drunk fights with my wife. I can't count the missing memories because it's my whole adult life at this point. I'm spending so much time and energy managing my emotions by ignoring them instead of dealing with the cause that every moment of being sober without something pressing to do is suffering. So my question is, How do I stop self-destructive behavior so my son can learn what a healthy, happy father and man looks like, and so I can live to see my grandkids?
0: Right, right. So that, of course, is, I think, pretty much the definition of a listener in crisis. So I'm sorry that the therapy didn't work for you. We'll sort of talk a little bit about that. Uh, What name would you like me to call you over the course of the convo?
2: Oh, um, uh, call me Kevin, I guess.
0: All right, Kevin. I guess. Oh, look at that! <laughs> From one father to another, a dad joke to start the entire
2: conversation. Um, so, does anyone at work know that you drink too much, or uh, only my most recent boss because he's my age and um, kind of has similar issues? Uh, same, he has a kid the same age and everything. You know, stress levels at work, kind of. Um, you know, we talk about that and how we drink to solve it. <laughs> right
0: now. I guess if you could give me the the history of the addiction, I think that would be most helpful. When did it start, and did you have addictive behaviors before you started drinking, and uh, what the progression of the ailment has been?
2: Um, my addictive behaviors, I, I'd probably say, started when um, I was younger with caffeine. It might sound silly, but... Um, I used to way over-consume it um, to the point of being extremely hyper and rambunctious and all of that I, stuff I have decided
0: that. not to call you out on overconsumption of caffeine for right. reasons that you probably know about with regards to my own relationship to caffeine. So for that one, you get a guilty pass from me. But anyway, so that's, was it like sodas when you were a kid? That's what you, yeah. so you got your caffeine? Yeah,
2: and energy drinks, like as early as like 12, I was pounding those things. Right, okay. Uh, um it made me, of course, feel really good and alert and awake and happy about stuff. But as you imagine the effects of that, you know, wear down over time. So about um that hasn't necessarily slowed down. I still overconsume probably like you do, you know, three hundred milligrams or so of caffeine each day. But um um I was about nineteen when I first tried alcohol and uh um Ever since then, I've had a uh, relationship with it that is less than healthy. Um, I didn't really start binge drinking or over drinking or drinking by myself until I was um, probably around 23. And then right. at this, uh, like, um, you know, I yeah, started off with just having parties where I'd invite all my friends over, you know, we'd play board games, watch YouTube videos and everything, and then it escalated further into, you know, Weekends, oh, uh, weekends. That. Um, sorry, I'm. I should not be reading the Discord chat. <laughs> it's I'm so sorry. Yeah, there's
0: a little bit of crackling on your mic. I'm not sure what I've not heard that before. Are you using like Bluetooth or an external mic or something like that?
2: Oh, I apologize. I don't know why it's sounding bad all of a sudden. Oh, sounds fine now. Look at that. All we had to do is nag it all I had to do was touch it
0: <laughs> okay all right um, I, I, it's not it's not too bad so I won't bother you about it again but no you do, you're doing fine and listen this is a hell of a conversation to have especially remotely you know video like it's a hell of a conversation to have and and don't try not to be self-conscious about how you're doing you're doing fine. I, I guarantee you that you're doing fine. And if anything does go awry, you know you can trust me at least to voice my concerns, if not necessarily be right about it. But uh, you're you're doing fine. We just you know just talk dad to dad, man to man, human to human, and Correct. see if we can uh, sort this out. Okay. So it was around 23 that it really began to kick in, and before that, you were kind of like a social drinker.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, and at the same time, that's also when I uh, started my career path. Um, I joined a, a you know local. Union apprenticeship program, and um, I never—I have a really bad relationship with school and authority in general. So um, doing that was quite frustrating. Um,
0: oh, because you've got to be coached, you've got to be taught, you've got to like the whole thing, right?
2: Right, and you're you've got to submit to authority. Yeah, you're you're completely subjected to what other people want and their bureaucracy. Um, and I <laughs> I had a really bad relationship with the training center, the hall uh, the union hall. Um, we had a crazy authoritarian lady there who was, um, so crazy. She it was snowing one morning. She told us to be there at 6am and it's freezing cold outside. And she's like, I want you guys to all change your tires on your car. So you're never late for work. And, and like just a bunch of stuff like that. Then like, this is, this is absolutely ridiculous. Like we're all, we're all bunch of tradesmen. We should be learning technical stuff. Not, you know, anyway, but, um, so I, I don't know what, if that was the source of my stress, but after that, it it escalated into um, probably 2015 or 14, somewhere in there. I was I, I became a daily drinker. Um, you know, started off with a couple beers. You know, we had a, we went to a restaurant every Monday and met for drinks. And you know, I would drink to the point of getting drunk, and then. It just became an everyday thing. Um,
0: were you alone in that in the union circle, yes. or?
2: Oh no, um, uh, my father.
0: Union guys drink, man. I mean, that's that's sort of my experience.
2: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Going to class drunk is a normal occurrence for most of us. <laughs> also, right. that right. that includes you know getting there and getting home. So. Right, right.
0: So, so I mean, you were in an environment where. There wasn't like the shocked faces of like, my gosh, are you actually having a third beer? But it was all like, yeah, pounder, man.
2: <laughs> yeah, like you'd find the instructors at the at the bars near the training center before class. Um, we had a particular instructor who I'd swear he was never sober. So,
0: right. Yeah, it's it's truly amazing just how many essential things in civilization get built by complete drunkards. It's not it's not just Scottish writers or Irish writers. You know the house that you live in, the construction, like the the bridge that you drive over. Uh, who who knows, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff that doesn't get put to get so, together sober, and I don't think enough people realize, um, you know what a what a sea of alcohol it is in the trades to, to get things done.
2: Yeah, and I'm I'm no exception to that.
0: Oh, yeah, I think you'd you'd be a uh, employee of the month as far as all that goes, as far as I, I sort of understand it,
2: right? Right. Um. And I, I don't really know uh, what was the single cause that increased the drinking. Um, I just know I felt a lot of stress uh, in general. So.
0: Well, and and it, I mean, one of the things that sucks people down into drinking. I mean, obviously, listen, as always, please, please, please don't look up me as any kind of authority. Just I mean, I know you like you listen to the show and all that. No authority here, none. What I'm just we're exploring. We're just trying to figure this thing out. So we're just two people sit together over non-alcoholic beers just trying to trying to figure something out here and so but my experience from what I've seen is that one of the reasons people slide into drink is they can't stand this oh they find their social circle boring if they're sober like there's just not that much to do with people who are sober I mean the only time I ever really flirted with drinking too much was I don't know maybe a couple of weeks maybe a month when I was about maybe 17. And I had a friend, appropriately named Rob, because you're trying to steal sobriety from me, right? And Rob and I, maybe a couple other people, we'd get together and we'd get these beers called Brock, which were like, I don't know, 8% alcohol or something like that. And we'd drink. And we'd play cards uh, for, for quarters we'd play poker we'd sit around we'd we drink right right and you know gosh i mean he he was hardcore man like he was he was you could see this guy like just drinker was was all over the place right now i kind of dipped into it and for me and i don't mean to make this about me i just sort of wanted to say what's the thesis is right but for me it was like okay so i did kind of have fun like drinking is fun like if people aren't stupid who drink you know it's not like why would you punish yourself like that? Like, drinking can be a lot of fun. It's a disinhibitor. Uh, you get pretty giggly. Uh, you can tell great stories. And, you know, a lot of what people do is funny. And, you know, drinking is is kind of fun. And, but the problem is, of course, that, I mean, this guy, uh, after a couple of weeks of this, I'm like, man, this is, this is no good. <laughs> this is, ru- it's expensive. I didn't have a lot of money, right? It's, it's expensive. It's... And it wipes out your Sunday, right? I mean, now you, if you've been drinking a lot, I mean, it's all wiped out in a way because you're a high-functioning alcoholic. But for me, it was like, you know, you'd kind of wake up at noon on on Sunday like somebody had just scooped hamster hemp, shit into your mouth and then you just kind of bump around like a lazy pinball all day because you didn't have any energy, you kind of vaguely headachy, didn't really want to eat anything, just, you know, just didn't sleep well. So it just kind of wiped out the Sunday and, you know, usually Monday you'd sort of feel feel back to your regular self and all that. And I'm like, okay, so it's really expensive. Uh, it's fun while it happens, but it wipes out that evening and it kind of wipes out the next day. And I just, and, and I, you know, I hate the spins, you know, like that thing where, what's that old Dean Martin joke? Like, you're not drunk if you can lie on the floor without holding on. But I really, really hated the spins, you know, where you you lie down, you're just like, oh, I'm so tired. And the, the the bed is just spinning and spinning and spinning. And you just it's like a, it's a pretty miserable thing at, at the end of yeah. it all. And, and and so for me, it was just like, OK, this is just. And so I'd say, you know, this guy would be like, hey, let's get together, man, this Saturday night. Like, OK, great. You know, I just tell you this, man, I, uh, you know, I'm not shipping in for drinks, you know, like, uh, you know, I'll bring a couple of bucks if you wanna, want me to have. I, I'm not. I'll bring some pop or whatever. Or like, I'm just not chipping in for drinks. And then it was like this great offense. I mean, you know, everybody knows. this. oh, what are you talking about, man? You're so much fun. Like, you know, come on, loosen up. It's always loosen up. Oh, like live a little. You know, loosen up. Don't be so uptight and so on. Right? Uh, it's like I'm not uptight. I have boundaries. <laughs> I don't I? Don't want to drink this much. It's not good for my health. It's not good for my wallet. It's not good for my uh, life. And, and it was very much like, okay, so if I wanted to get together with Rob, we just fucking had to drink. And, And he was a cool guy. It was a cool, good looking guy, cool guy. And, but it was like, okay, but if, if I have to be, if I have to be drinking with you, then I'm really just an excuse to drink. Like you just, I don't want to drink alone, man. It's like those social smokers. Hey, I'm a social smoker, and they come up to you and say, "Hey, can I bum a cigarette?" I'm just a social smoker. It's like, did you approach me to bum a cigarette? Then you're not a social smoker, right? You're you're a smoker. You just pretend you're a social smoker because you don't like to say that you're a smoker. And it's you know, it was just kind of a an offensive thing to say. Well, you don't want me for my company, you know, like you don't want to hang out with me when sober. So anyway, I tried going over when Rob had one of his parties, and, you know, man, if you're not drinking, it's a bad time. I mean, it's a seriously boring, annoying, bad time, and you can see people just losing their reason, losing their higher faculties and all of that. So, you know, my guess is that one of the reasons the drinking started to happen was, you, you're in this world, if you don't drink, you're a suspect, and if you don't drink, it's really not that much fun, and you don't want to be lonely, right? So, I mean, I don't know if that was it, it but it could have something to do with it.
2: Um I, at least for me that that wasn't the case. I was one of the first ones to to really I have always been like the center of the party. So when when things start happening, I'm the one drinking first and getting people riled up. I'm the you know, Oh Easter you're the Rob, essential. not the B in the equation. Right, <laughs> okay, right. I got it. Got it. Yeah, yeah I'm the nice. one who hosted the parties. I'm the one that had the take the table full of liquor. I mean I had a Jaeger tap machine that held three bottles of liquor and would refrigerate it. So um yeah. You uh, you you had the equipment, man. You were like committed. Oh, I got dance lights. I had everything in my early twenties, like laser shows, fog machines. We you were like tables. the laser Floyd guy, except it wasn't pot, right? Right. Wow.
0: Wow. So you're like a you like a, sp- a spider spinning a web.
2: You know, <laughs> a web of alcoholism. Come on in, people. It's gonna be great.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
2: Except now I'm caught in my okay. own web. <laughs>
0: Okay, so, and I do want to get to the origin story of all of this, but I kind of want to understand the stuff that was going on at that time in your life. And what's your age range now? I'm I'm 30. You're 30, okay. And so in your sort of mid-20s, I said 23 plus, when you really started to drink hardcore, was... So there were there would be some obvious secondary gains, right? So some secondary gains, you know, I know a lot of people in Japan drink because that's kind of the culture, at least it was, and it gets you ahead in your career. Some guys drink because it allows them to approach women in a much more confident way. And of course, if the women have had something to drink too, then maybe they're more receptive to sexual or romantic advances. So it could be a lot of different things. What do you think was driving that for you?
2: Oh, I'm, I've been with my wife for almost 11 years, so it wasn't women, it was... Um I mean, for me, it's the enhanced, the enhanced feelings, the good feelings that come with it. Like, uh, um, I don't know. It's like, uh, it's like everything's, everything's better and more enhanced. Like the world's brighter for me. Um, like one of the things people, people say when they drink is they, you know, get tired. When I drink, I get energized. Like I can stay up all night if I'm drinking, but as soon as I stop drinking, I just crash, boom, done, fall asleep. So for me, it's like um, I can be there in the moment and enjoy just what's in front of me, versus um, you know when I'm not sober, I'm thinking of the future and everything. Oh, absolutely! Listen, everyone has this—you know—the beer
0: commercial of like the impossibly well abbed guys in the Bermuda shorts by the beat by, by the by the pool. Everybody kind of wants to climb into that ad and have a blast, right? Every song that plays on the radio is perfect and uh, everybody's funny. And, uh, you know, the people who jump off the roof never hit the side of the pool, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. So I get that. Now, let me ask you this, though. So when it comes to like the world is brighter and you're happier and so on, given the, I think, fairly catastrophic depression that you're facing at the moment, was it bright relative to normal or was it bright relative just relative to? You know, like if you think of sort of minus 10, greatest sadness, plus 10, greatest happiness. When you say like you were happy when you were drinking, was it a plus 10 or was it just not a minus 10 and it was like a one, but it just felt like 11 better?
2: Yeah, it's more like that. Like I'm more in a constant state of depression, essentially. And uh, by drinking, I can elevate myself to what I assume would be a normal level of happiness or enjoyment of things. Uh, based on okay. how i see other people enjoying things. <laughs> right. Right. So it
0: is self-medication for depression. Is that a fair way to put it?
2: No, I, I think so, yes.
0: Right. Okay. And and i'm i'm sort of relieved in a way because that's the general thesis i've been working with for you know ever since i did and people can uh, check this out bombinthebrain.com, bombinthebrain.com where you can look at uh, a whole series of five or six analyses, presentations, interviews, and conclusions about this basic issue. And I'll really, really, I'll do it in like 30 seconds, right? So when you experience a lot of child abuse or trauma, upset as a child, you end up with negative happiness, obviously. And you don't become addicted to feel happy. You become addicted to feel normal. In other words, if you have child abuse, you end up as a minus seven for your happiness. You're not trying to get to plus 10 you know, sort of a minus 10 to plus 10 scale. You're not trying to get to plus 10. You're trying to get to zero or one. Now, the problem is because you're short of dopamine or whatever it is that's missing uh, because of your trauma, then your body's not producing enough due to trauma. And then what happens is you take whatever drug enhances that, could be alcohol, could be cocaine, it could be gambling, it could, whatever it is, right? Sexuality. And then you get to feel normal. But then the problem is that you crash down to minus eight for minus seven. Because whenever you bring an artificial substance in that produces, let's just call it happy hormone, right? Whatever whatever it is, right? When you bring in an artificial substance that produces the happy hormone in you, your body stops producing it on its own, right? Kind of makes sense, right? And so then what happens is you go from a minus seven to a plus one and you feel normal or slightly better than normal. And then you crash to a minus eight, or a minus nine from a seven. Now most people, if they're like a zero being sort of equilibrium, like we get unhappiness, we get happiness, they go from zero and they go from zero to like six or seven, or or maybe twenty, or sorry, maybe ten or whatever. But they go, they go high and then they crash down to a minus one or a minus two and then they kind of stabilize, right? But if you're starting at a minus seven, you take a drug and you get to a zero or a one and then you crash down to a minus eight it's really appalling. It's really shocking because you've had a taste of what it is to be normal. Like if you've ever had chronic pain, uh, you know, a back thing or whatever it is, some knee thing. If you've ever had chronic pain and then you take a drug that takes that pain away, you feel like you you realize what life is like without chronic pain. And then when the chronic pain returns, it's worse because you've had a time without it. So again, I, I'm not trying to tell you your experience, that's the general theory. That I understand with regards to addiction, and remember, I'm no doctor, I'm no expert, I'm no medical guy of any kind. I'm just telling you my understanding of the process. And how, how well does that mesh with with what you've experienced?
2: Yeah, I'd, I'd say that that's that's the case, at least based on observing other people and then having you know non-drug related interactions with things, you know, achieving goals or you know having a really good day about something. You get that that same hit that brings you up and makes you feel almost normal. Um, so I agree with that. Right. Okay. um, Yeah, go ahead. And from my emotional history, you know, I, I have a hard time remembering stuff from like before five, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff going back there, but I do remember a point in my life where, you know, I felt generally happy about things and then a change from that to not being generally happy. So I do know it exists. I do know there's this happy state that you can be in normally. Right. Right.
0: Because some people who sort of hover around at the happiness level, it's like, you know, minus six, minus seven, that's their baseline. What they say is life is suffering. Life is pain. I'm a nihilist. I'm, I'm uh, an existentialist. So life is suffering. Life is pain. And everybody who seems happy is an idiot. They're just fooling themselves. They're just sh- no, shiny, happy people holding hands, like that old REM song, right? They're just plastic people. Uh, they don't have any depth. They don't have any intelligence. And they make a virtue out of their suffering. And that's, of course, normalizing minus seven happiness as wisdom and depth and all of that kind of stuff, like the David Lynch world stuff. And rather than just saying, wow, you know, I'm really dysfunctional, I need to try and find a way at least to get higher up in the. Baseline happiness scale, they instead make a virtue and a depth out of it, and that kind of seals the submarine door over top of them as they head
2: down. Yeah, and I'd say that's where I was for a long time, uh, deep into the nihilism. Okay, so tell me a little bit about the,
0: I mean, the metaphysical level, or you could say the existential level. What did you end up thinking or believing about the human condition, based upon? what happened to you with uh, alcohol.
2: Um, at least uh most of the time I just think from my own perspective. So um, you know, I agree with I agreed with that life is suffering and that the only way to um achieve anything or to, you know, build any kind of happiness is always work towards these future goals, but just live in the misery of the now. Um at least as a man, I always believed that my my job was self sacrifice and destroying myself for whatever goals I wanted to achieve or building family or or stuff like that. And that, um, I mean, that's I just generally ignored my emotions because of that. I just was like, these are useless in the moment; these are pointless. I just need to, you know, separate myself myself from them.
0: Now that must have also given you quite a magnetic amount of charisma. Yes. Now, people – so people don't usually understand that, and, and I'll have you sort of break this one out. I don't want to do all the talking here, right? It's your issues, right? So people don't understand how much nihilism and charisma are related, but tell me a little bit about what, you, what you're what you getting out of this sort of magnetic charisma idea.
2: Well, uh, I mean, my career, I'm a service tech um, right now, so I'm very good at customer service. I'm very good at talking to people. I'm good at um, – I'm reading their emotions and essentially – and what they're saying and what they want and become the thing that they want in the moment. So, um, like hosting parties and stuff, I know exactly how to get people happy about things, how to, um, I don't know how to describe it. Um, I just, well, you become
0: like, a conduit of energy for people, right? I mean, right,
2: yeah, yeah. I, I'm there's the beacon a, of energy. A, a, an
0: old, yeah, you, you really are a beacon of energy and people are drawn to that. And that comes out of a lack of identity for yourself. In other words, you become a reflective chameleon that enhances everybody's experience of life, like a funhouse mirror that magnifies everything that's, that's kind of cool, right? Like you see you see little kids, uh, little girls will sometimes go to those funhouse mirrors and then, you know, it, it fake boop, fake puts boobs on them because of the curve of the mirror and they're like laughing and da- Like it just enhances something that they're, you know, obviously thinking about in terms of how they're going to grow into the future and all of that. Now, there's a lot of charisma, an enormous amount of charisma that comes out of a lack of identity and a real thirst to it's it's it cuz it's more than being liked because you know we, we want to be everybody wants to be liked and but yeah we can do that by being ourselves but it's uh, it's almost like you are addicted to a drug yourself but you are the drug for other people they want to come because they want to be around you because of how you make them feel right Absolutely, yes. There's an old F. Scott Fitzgerald novel. I've always remembered this scene. It's called uh, Tender is the Night. And in it, he he was a notorious party guy. Um, Zelda Fitzgerald I kind of used as a little bit of the model for Wendy in my novel, almost. Because she was beautiful, incredibly charismatic, vivacious, intelligent, a great conversationalist, very funny, a good writer. And man, uh, I mean, she went nuts. They locked her in an insane asylum, and she ended up burning to death when the asylum burnt down. She got trapped in her cell and literally burned to death uh, in late middle age. Uh, It was just an absolutely godforsaken end to a life where everybody wanted to be her. Zelda Fitzgerald, she was like the belle of the ball, the queen of things. And in Tenderous at Night, there's legendary descriptions of partying, and... Later, after the main guy who hosts these parties, and everybody loves these parties, they're like m- incredible. They're like Freddie Mercury parties or something like that, right? Like Everybody's like like the Freddie Mercury parties with Queen, where there'd be dwarves uh, covered in cocaine that you could snort off, like just I- insane stuff. And many years later, after this, the main character is burned out on these parties and his life has kind of fallen apart, he meets some guy who was at one of his parties like 10 years before. And the guy's eyes light up when he sees the guy who used to host the parties, the main character, the guy, he lights up and it's like, oh my God, that was the greatest night of my life. I think about that all the time. Are you still having those parties? Like it was such a high for that guy to be at one of these parties. Like the rest of his life has become kind of gray, kind of, you know, and to me, that was like, a, it's an incredible moment. And I'm sure that happened in F. F, F, F Scott Fitzgerald's actual life, but that is, it's incredibly addictive. Uh, so, because people don't understand how much addicts cause other people to become addicted to them. And sometimes that can be for negative things. Like I'm sure your wife, and we'll get to all of this, is doing a lot to try and manage your life. In other words, she has to be kind of addicted to you um, in order to uh, survive as you would see it but yeah people who are addicted can be immensely addictive to others
2: yeah that's um that's that's exactly how you could describe all of my parties back in the day at least for my circles so legendary that, you know, right yeah everybody with, looks with the back with on the, on and the and requisite pause them. yeah like I can invite people to parties or at least I used to be able to invite people to parties that I hadn't seen in years and they would come if they got the invite. Because they knew that that was going to be the fun, a fun night.
0: And can I tell you something? I envy that. I have almost never had the ability to throw parties. I'll be mean, straight up. You know, I got, I got my strengths. Being a party thrower is not one of them. It's, you know, I gotta tell you, if there was, if there was, like, let's say, you and I have competing parties on a Saturday night, right? And I'm next door to everyone, and you're like three towns over. Where are they going? Yeah, where are
2: they going? Yeah, they're going to my place. They're going to your
0: place, (laughs) but I have boggle. No, (laughs) no. They. uh, um, I remember once a friend of mine uh, uh, saying. He said. uh, He said, "This is what you're like, man." I'm not friends with him anymore, but it doesn't really matter. He said, "This is what you're kind of like, right?" So this is this is what happens. This is you know, everyone's up at the at the at the cottage, right? Everyone's up at the cottage, like like twenty people up at, at a big cottage. And everyone just had a blast the night before. And, you know, the next morning they're, you know, kind of mellow, kind of a little burned out, a little hungover, kind of tired. And they're sitting on the dock, you know, having a coffee, trying to get their thoughts in order and trying to figure out what they're going to do with the day. And, you know, maybe a little peaceful, easy feeling is playing on the radio and it's pretty mellow. And then you're the guy who comes up and says, "Hey, let's play Pictionary." <laughs> it's like it's not quite punchable, but it's a little punchable. And yeah, that's that's me. Uh, I, listen, I'm pretty good with dinner parties, and we used to have uh, gatherings uh, uh, of free domain people, which were you know really really fun. But I'm I'm not. I don't throw good parties, and uh, I uh, um, I would I would never in a million years be able to compete with what you do. So. Uh, and and what you do is is cool, you know. If, if you can have it without the addictive, self destructive behavior, it'd be pretty good. But yeah, I've I've uh, I gave up on this many many years ago. Uh, throwing parties because people wouldn't show, um, and uh, if they did show, uh, you know, if you don't have the critical mass, uh, it it's pretty lame, as you know. And of course, you need the right. You also know you probably know exactly who to invite to to make sure that there's the right alchemy of people in the room and all that. So yes. Yeah, good for you. Hey, so you're on my turf with the philosophy stuff, but I'd be on your turf. I'd be your apprentice when it came to throwing parties. So <laughs> right. I just wanted to mention that. Okay, so what, I mean, so did you just recently turn 30? Like what's prompting this call? What's what's aligned in your world that you're like, man, I got to talk?
2: Um, in particular, uh, my health. Um, it's starting to get to me. You know, I used to be able to ignore uh, ignore all the on my body telling me, Hey, you're, you know, you're getting sick. Cause I, of course came up with all the prevention strategies to prevent hangovers the next day or to, you know, limit the effects of them to the, I mean, I can limit them down to just the brain fog. Um, you know, I, I, like, I won't throw up, like I can, I could do a lot to, to mitigate that just through taking the right stuff or drinking the right things. So I can't do that anymore. It's starting to affect my health, I think. And, you know, it's kind of putting the fear of, um, my mortality. Make, reminding me of my mortality and then looking at my son going jesus he needs me there like like when he was born i already went you know sober for like a month and a half because you can't you can't drink and be a, a father doing newborn It ain't happening and uh um, i slowly slipped back down into it and then i tried to seek out therapy this this summer and it didn't work so i'm i'm back i'm back at it again trying to trying to uh, i don't know solve
0: it trying to get away so I mean it. it's 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 your health it's your son and
2: how, how, how
0: are things with your wife
2: um, they're better after the kid's been born um, it was really rough before we decided to finally have a kid um, I I definitely treated her like shit.
0: and uh, what uh, I, I don't mean to rub your nose in it but what what does that mean what what happened at that you're right so, not happy with
2: i mean i you probably know what with drinking if you're in the wrong mood and start drinking that mood's amplified whatever mood you're in is amplified if you come in happy it's going to be really fun um, But if you come in angry or upset about something and drink uh, especially for me i turn into an absolute asshole um, well you're just
0: looking for a fight guy right
2: right right exactly looking for a fight like um, you know my my wife is um messy extremely messy disorganized um got a little better in the last year with the kid because she's stuck at home but um you know i would just something would tick me off i would go walking into the kitchen and the kitchen would be a disorganized mess and i'm like what the fuck is all this you know what is it you know i can still feel the rage of that moment like of those moments you know i've taken keyboards off my desk and broken them on my deck outside and shot the keys all over the backyard while swearing at everybody like it's the bad side of alcohol that nobody tells you about when you're
0: younger. Oh, um, yeah. No, the, the mean drunk stuff, it's kind of a stereotype, but it's definitely there. And it's, I haven't had that with keyboards. I've definitely had that with printers on a regular basis because printers and Bluetooth, they're just total fucking lies. But that's a right. topic for another time. Connecting? No, I'm not I'm not connecting. I'm just going to have you stand here for 20 minutes pushing a button for no purpose. So, okay, so, so you, you got the anger. And of course, but, but of course, if your wife was... If if she had the kind of virtues that you're attacking her for lacking, she probably wouldn't have married you in the first place, right?
3: Yeah. Right.
0: Absolutely. Right. And uh, certainly it's it is kind of ironic. I'm I'm sure you're perfectly aware of this, but it's kind of ironic that the biggest mess in the house is you, not the kitchen, right? <laughs> Sure like you're yelling at the kitchen. It's like, okay, so we got the big mess calling the mid- little mess. How how tough is it to clean up your drinking? That's a huge job. How tough it is to clean up the kitchen? Maybe twenty minutes.
2: Yeah, that that's uh, right. I, I I mean, I always feel like that's what my anger is directed at is the is the small shit because I don't want to deal with the excuse excuse my swearing. I I'm I'm a pipe fitter. So listen, I don't I don't give a shit about your swearing. I
0: really care less. <laughs> uh, just don't no don't self censor. Don't self censor at all. I, you know, sticks and stones, man. Sticks and stones, the words ain't going to do us any harm at all. So, um, right. No. So, I mean, I know what you mean about like if, if you're a mess in your mind and your heart, then little external messes, it's a lot easier because then it puts your wife on the defensive rather than having her look critically at you. Because I'm sure there are points of the marriage where if she looked and sat, really looked at you and figured
2: out, she'd be like, "I'm gone." Um, we actually had a conversation where she thought about that like four years into our relationship. Oh because yeah, and I guarantee that was, you, the beginning of my drinking, and I guarantee you, since then, she's like, "Fuck,
0: if I'd have done it back then, I wouldn't have to deal with it now." And I'm I'm sure she's had those thoughts. Right, right. What was the impetus behind the decision to become parents, or was it a decision? Was it an oops? How did that play?
2: No, we've uh, we've always been extremely careful. She's been on birth control and I've worn condoms pretty much the entire time we've been together. Um, so we, we always said that, you know, it takes two people to be responsible for making a kid. So each one of us should have a responsibility in regards to, you know, birth. So um, we, we always wanted kids. And the whole limiting factor was um, she wanted to go to school and work as a veterinary uh, technician for a while. Um, so she went through college and then worked for a few years. And then we said, okay, it's time to have kids. Like we got to quit screwing around because, you know, I started listening to you and I was like, holy crap. Like we do have this wall coming up real quick and we want to have kids. So let's get them out. Like, let's go. Yeah.
0: That's well, it's, it's an under remarked upon reason why I get so much hostility among certain circles is because, you know, certain circles don't want the smart people having kids. And I'm like, hey, 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 <laughs> you gotta make sure we have those kids, right? If, if you want them. So, what was the like, what? I'm sort of trying to understand, like, if, if she wants to have kids, and I guess maybe this is before you all figured out the clock or whatever, right? But, or the wall, but, you know, go to college, get into a career, get started, and they're like, nope, having kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she gonna, I mean, I'm not saying she should go back, but is that sort of the idea, or like later in life,
2: or? Yeah, she, uh, I mean, currently she works two Saturdays a month. Her uh, employer wanted to keep her. Um, and she can maintain her licenses with that. So I, you know, that's just the day I take my son, we go to a park or something or, you know, do something. No,
0: I get that. It's just that, we, you know, society's down one veterinary assistant, right? Yeah, yeah. She doesn't
2: yeah. plan on entering the workforce full time for probably. I'm five, just five, like, a, I'm saying
0: this not for your wife, sorry, I'm saying this not for your wife, but for the other women out there, like. Be, be responsible for what society needs because you you kind of bump in some other guy there who could actually be a vet or veterinary assistant. I'm just going to say vet because I don't want to say veterinary assistant the whole time, right? right. But, you know, if, if you're a young woman and you're out there, you want to have kids, like just find the guy, have the kids. And then, you know, you want to become a vet assistant when your kids are older, fantastic. Go, go do it and enjoy. But this whole... I'm going to do four years of college or three years of college. I'm going to do a year or two of interning. I'm going to start my, oh, nope, nope. Then I'm just going to work two Saturdays a month. It's like, well, the animals kind of need more. And, you know, have have your kids, be young. It's really good to have kids when you're young. And then you can do your career stuff, which is an honorable and noble thing for women to do. You can do that down the road. But it just, I just, at a personal level, it just kind of bothers me when you know society has poured hundreds of thousands of dollars into trading a vet assistant who then goes off and has kids and you know it's great that you're having kids don't get me wrong but it's like okay well that was a pretty pretty bad investment right
2: right um the only other reason i could think is uh at least when i was younger before you know i really got focused on on self knowledge with your your stuff was um i always had this i did you know self a lot of self-hatred a lot of doubt that i was going to live a long time and uh I told her I was like, "Look, you gotta have you gotta have a skill set when, for when I die," because um, I was thinking it wasn't going to be a long time.
0: How 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 good looking are you, man?
2: Uh, not that good looking.
0: Uh, is it penis size? Is it like what? What What is the story where you say to a woman,
2: "Oh yeah, I'm gonna
0: like drink myself into an early grave," so you gotta have some skills? And she's like, "Yeah, this would be great. Let's get married and have kids." <laughs>
2: She, like, was, help uh, she was help me understand. I mean, you've got to have something. Is this, this magic I charisma. I had, I had a motorcycle and charisma. And that's what it was.
0: So it's going to be a challenge to your relationship when you become a decent guy in this way, right? Because uh, she likes them. She likes them dangerous, right?
2: Yeah, a little bit, but not too much. I mean, I, a I little don't know. bit. <laughs> I'm going to drink myself into an early grave.
0: So you got to have a job to pay the b- that's not a little bit on the dangerous side,
2: right?
1: I guess that's relative to the a little bit on the dangerous
0: side is uh, a little bit on the dangerous side is uh, I don't know. I like to fry bacon in the nude. That's a little bit on the dangerous side. Where you are is like really close to being off the chart. Right. Cuz you are openly saying to her, I'm going to die young. So for God's sakes, be educated cuz you're going to need to foot the bills after i die and she's like yeah this is, sign me up that that's what i'm trying to figure out like okay so what's i mean okay let me ask you this more frankly did she make a good decision back uh, I then
3: i would
2: uh, uh, no no she didn't she did not right she didn't know me and first first date she got on the back of my motorcycle yeah, so
0: she she likes uh, she likes him bad, right? And that's going to be a challenge. I mean, Frank, straight up, that is going to be a challenge. Like, this is one of the reasons why it's hard to quit drinking It's because she chose you when you were a bad boy, to put it mildly, a self destructive person, right? And right. you were frank about it. You weren't hiding it. You were like, "Yeah, I'm going to die young, so make sure you're educated because uh, you're going to have to make it go it alone," right?
2: Yeah, she just never and believed so me.
0: she, uh, no, I I think she did because you. You were certainly heading that way, right? You you, you kind of still are, right?
2: Well, not when she first met me. I wasn't there when she first met me.
0: Right. So she thought you were lying about your future or you were deluded about your future. See, either she believed you, in which case she made a bad decision, or she thought that you were just, what, bullshitting her, just like saying tough guy stuff or whatever, in which case she's, you know, you're kind of lying about some pretty important things and, or, or, you know, whether you're lying consciously or not, but, like, you right. you're either were a bad boy or you were completely deluded about your future. E- you know, either way, it's not a, you know, come on. I mean, if this woman had called me up, can I imagine this, right? You've listened to these shows before, right? So we could be frank, right? So yep. imagine your, your girlfriend back in the day had, had called me up and said, you know, I really like this guy, but he's really encouraged, he says he's just not going to live long, he's not making plans for a long life, and I've got to get an education in, because he's just going to die young and I'm going to have to find some way to fund a family alone. Um, uh, what do you think I would say? Or what do you think anyone would say?
2: We get the fuck out.
0: Well, yeah, this this is probably not, you know, this is probably not the, the well, like, why? Like, so you got to have something that compensates, I assume, right? Something that makes you, is it the charisma thing that we talked about or something where she's like, oh, yeah, no, this is the guy for me?
2: No, yeah, like I said, I'm, uh, like we talked about, I'm the center of energy and everything that's happening, like, uh, it's a, it's a, magnetic personality in a way, but it's weird because I also live the dual life of being a nerd, you know, listening to your work is kind of on the more nerdy intellectual side or you know, I don't agree with that. Games. Listen,
0: I, I like, I, I got to push back on that. I don't, I don't think that what I do is, I mean, there's nerdy stuff for sure. And I, you know, I've got my nerdy side as well, but this is, okay. this is like, this is leather and motorcycle philosophy shit that we talk about here. This is like confronting people. This is like dealing with your demons. You know, you're not calling up to talk to me about Star Trek, right? I mean, this is like really meaty, um, deep, dangerous stuff. So, uh, you know, I am, uh, you know, this is is like tough guy philosophy uh, as a whole because it is not abstract. It's not bullshit. It's like real rubber on the road stuff. So uh, I agree with you. A lot of philosophy is nerdy. And uh, I just, you know, I don't agree with you on the characterization of this particular show because if it was, it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be of any use to you. Right. Okay, so she, uh, yeah, so, so she's, so you're her alcohol, right? Possibly, yeah. Well, no, because you're you're a destructive substance that she's addicted to, right? Yeah. And so you both addicts, probably, right? Right. And so, and I'm saying this because you quitting alcohol is going to threaten her addiction to you. And this is one of the reasons why people keep drinking. It's like, I have a stable environment here. Steph, I, right? Everything's I just, known. It's predictable. Sorry, I just made a sorry, connection
2: to something. Um, yeah, yeah, go. go. It's uh, your show, man. Go for it. Yeah. So guess why my birth mother left my father?
0: Uh, I'm going to guess with he quit drinking?
2: Yep. He was boring. There we go. Yeah, he was
0: boring. He was boring. So, if you quit drinking, it's going to be like she quits drinking, and and the depression that you're facing when not drinking, she's going to face when you quit drinking. Because that she's current, like you're focused on the alcohol, and she's focused on you, and neither of you are dealing with your own stuff, right? So, she like having a chaotic person in your life is a great excuse to not deal with your own stuff. Because you're like, oh, is he drinking? Is it right? Is it good? Is it bad? Are we going to pay bills? Is it too expensive? You just focus on the other person so much that you just don't have to deal with your own shit, right?
2: Absolutely. Right.
0: Right. So she's an integral part, and, you know, I I assume unconsciously, blah, 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 but she's an integral part of why you keep drinking and why it's scary to stop. And the depression might be like, can my marriage survive sobriety? Or me not being... A charismatic, dangerous guy.
2: I don't think all that risk-taking will go away, but some of it will. That's for sure. Right. Okay.
0: Okay. So, um, let's let's do the childhood stuff. Right. We've we've got a good old leisurely time because like, the only person I'm talking to tonight. So, what's uh, what's the story of early you?
2: Divorced household. My. Uh, I got an older sister uh, about six years and my dad and my, I don't know why the hell my dad ever got with my birth mother. She's, um, she was adopted and abused as an adopted child. Um, she was apparently extremely attractive and that's probably why. Um, but they divorced when I was three and she took everything and somehow he got me and my sister. Um, to the point that my dad had nowhere to go, and his company um, bought his house that he lives in now, or you know, bought at least paid for the mortgage. So to give him a cheaper interest rate and everything. And um, so my dad remarried when I was about five, and I got three older stepbrothers out of the deal. Um, and my stepmom is uh, very emotionally abusive. I don't remember a time when she wasn't you got to,
0: sorry, screen. just, just, I, I'm so, so sorry to interrupt you. I, I've bookmarked this in my brain, but I don't want to get too far away from one of the saddest things I ever heard from, from you just now, I truly one of the saddest things I've ever heard. That's probably right at the heart of your depression. What's I don't that? know if you noticed it.
2: I, I did not.
0: Let me just ask the chat. Hey, you guys paying attention. What was the saddest thing? That we heard just now we can uh, we can wait someone says fug I missed it <laughs> <laughs> I'm not boring see see you and I can swear but they have to say fug <laughs> all right so uh, I'll just wait somebody else is typing here uh, yeah, yeah I, I guarantee you this is one of the saddest things you'll you'll hear and because when people tell their their past right it, it comes in two layers so the first is stuff you said before, and then the second is stuff that's more real. And I don't criticize it. Everybody has to start with stuff they've said before. You know, like if I have another person say to me, I was just uh, uh, getting something to eat with my daughter tonight. And, you know, for about the five billionth time, uh, some someone was, some woman was like, hey, you've got a really interesting accent. Where are you from? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, his father should never have married his mother. Okay, I will tell you the saddest thing that I heard. And it is really, really sad. So the saddest thing I heard was when you said, my parents divorced when I was three years old, and my mother got everything. You said, I don't know how, my mother got everything, but 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 my sister and I ended up with my dad. Do you remember saying that? Yeah. Okay. The key thing there is the word everything. Right. Because if your mother got everything except you and your sister, that means you and your sister are nothing. Because most parents would be like, I just want the kids. I don't care about the rest. I don't care about the money. I don't care about the house. I don't care about the cars. I don't care about the bank account. I just want my children. But you said she got everything. Well, except for my sister and I. But if she gets 100%, then you are 0%. And your sister is 0%. You are nothing in that formulation. Do you see what I mean? Right. I do. So let's, and I, I bookmarked the three brothers and the abusive stepmother. I bookmarked that. But let's go the fuck back to you and your sister are nothing. Because that's the formulation, right? She got everything. Well, except for my sister and I. Okay, so what was your mother's evaluation of the value of your sister and yourself?
2: Yeah, that we weren't worth anything to
0: her. Where did the word everything come from? Right? Because as a kid, right? I mean, as a kid... If you have self-esteem and your mother doesn't want you, say, "Oh man, she got nothing." Oh yeah, she got some money. She got some. She got, she got some real estate. Who gives a shit? She didn't get me. She got nothing. But you're like, she got everything. So where does the word "everything" come from, with regards to that divorce? Who said that to you, I, or where did you come with the word? I,
2: I mean, I, I don't know who ever said it to me, but that's that's mostly how I felt about myself.
0: So, okay, so what did she get, materially? I believe a house
2: and a bunch of money.
0: Right, right. She, the house and alimony. Alimony. a bunch of money. Got it. so go on.
2: And alimony, you know, she got to, she uh, um, had to pay my dad less in child support than he had to pay her in alimony. Oh, fuck. Oh, my God, Really? Yeah. He had to pay her more in
0: alimony than she paid him in child support. Yeah, he he made he's a, he
2: was a union tradesman, he made a lot of money. But even the courts were saying you were worthless. Yeah, they uh because they she didn't. got all this
0: money. She got all this money, she got all this real estate and she got more money from your dad than they pay, than she paid in child in child support. Right.
2: Jesus. She even... So, um, did your dad I, say she got everything? I honestly Steph, I couldn't tell you. Okay. But at
0: some point you got a sense of the transfer, right? Somebody characterized it. Somebody characterized it this way, she got everything. Now, I know you say you can't remember much of what happened before you were 5. I know this happened when you were 3, so, you know, I don't want you to pull an answer out of your ass, but somehow it was characterized that your mom got everything, when I would argue she got nothing. She got worse than nothing. She got worse than, she didn't even have her kids. You know, I mean, God forbid, right? I mean, if my wife and I were ever to separate, I don't know, let's say I got where we live, right? And she got my daughter. What would I say? I got everything. God, no. What would I say? I got nothing. Nothing. You got what well, you got a place to live. I don't care. I'll sell that to pay lawyers to get access to my daughter. I don't care about that. I don't care. I'll live in a fucking bridge. I'll I'll live in a car. I'll I'll live in a school bus on fucking bricks. I will sell everything I've got and a kidney to get access to my daughter. Cuz I got a roof over my head, but without people in it I love, it. it's nothing. She got nothing. That's how I feel about my son now. Of course, you know, like now you're a dad. Can you imagine high-fiving yourself because you got a stack of cash and not your son? Fuck. Yeah, no. (laughs) I don't want to think about that. So your mother was adopted so she knows right down in her fucking core she knows what it is to be abandoned by a parent, right? Yep. And what did she do to you and your sister?
2: Well, she did the same thing. She she had experienced abandoning us for something right. else. I now, see, why. people... Okay, sorry, you said you don't know why? No, yeah, I don't know what she uh, chased instead. Well, she chased money, right?
0: You don't end up accidentally getting more in alimony than you pay in child support. She chased money. Yeah. Do you know how old she was when she was put up for adoption?
2: I, uh, very young. And um, she was um, like months, very weeks. Abusive. Do you know? I, I don't. I never ask those questions. Um, I just know that her um, her adoptive parents were very abusive emotionally to her.
0: Do you know anything about her birth parents?
2: No, nobody does. Oh, it was a sealed adoption? I believe so, or she holds the information, which I don't even know if she has the mental capacity to now to even give me that information.
0: Well, that's the thing, right? The past is sealed off by empty people because you'll never get the truth out of them anyway. Right, You know, I would love to know more about my mom's experiences during the war, but I'll never get the truth out of her. I mean, she's no incentive to tell me the truth and every incentive to lie. So there's no, there's no footage, there's no documentary, there's no facts, there's only reports from unreliable witnesses, right? So it's all hearsay
2: and nonsense. Yeah. The only real evidence I have is like um, um, stories from family members and then, uh, um, you know, the She's also kind of neglective, I guess, when she took care of me. Like one time, like I've got this massive, this scar on my forehead, in the center of my forehead. I don't, uh, supposedly I was bleeding really bad. Instead of taking me to the hospital, she just kind of let it heal over. And now I've got a big scar there. So it's just stuff like that that happened that I, or like she didn't breastfeed me. She only stuck a bottle of apple juice in my mouth all the time.
0: Uh, That's bad for your teeth. Yeah, I what? Can uh, you, you just give your mic a tap? Just getting that crackling back for a sec. No, sorry. Thanks. Now, is she addicted to anything? I mean, like physical addiction.
2: Um, I think she might drink now. Maybe I don't know. I, oh, I, so you, you I don't have anything her. to do with her? Uh, not. Re- I saw her once a year while she was uh, over here on the West Coast, but then she moved to the East Coast. Literally months before my son was born.
0: Well, she probably would find it unbearable to be around him, right? I don't know. provoke too much guilt.
2: Yeah, it's possible.
0: No, it's it's if, if she just happens to move away, right before her grandchild is born, after she abandoned her son and daughter. Come on, that's that's yeah. fleeing, uh, that's fleeing an approaching wound, right?
2: Yeah, and that's it's her first grandchild too.
0: Yeah. Well, at least she has the kindness to keep herself away from him.
3: Yeah.
2: Which is good. At least she yeah, can I,
0: quarantine him from her toxicity,
2: right? Yeah, I don't want to deal with him.
0: So tell me about your stepmom and your stepbrother. So I guess your your dad married this woman. She was divorced. She had three kids and you were five, right? Right. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I told you I bookmarked it, right? We're, we're back, we're back. And yeah, tell me about how, how did that play out? I mean, did you get to meet them before? Did you get any kind of say or were you consulted or how did that work?
2: Oh, hell no, hell no. Um, yeah, I mean, I was pretty young. I think I was four when I met them. Um, I was pretty big. My dad was had computers back then, so, you know, 1994. So I was using DOS and stuff. And one of my brothers was
0: six. You were years a DOS four-year-old? Yeah. <laughs> Good for you, man.
2: That's what I mean. I'm kind of a nerd. So it's, um but uh you know, I remember playing playing computer games with my youngest stepbrother who's who was 10 at the time or 11 and playing like different games on DOS, Doom and you know, things I shouldn't be shouldn't have been playing. <laughs> so I did get to meet them, but I didn't get to say in fact. I remember the wedding day after my dad got this new house sitting on the stairs crying my eyes out because I didn't I, I, I don't know what I didn't like about the situation but there's something I didn't like and nobody cared they just told me I had to go stand there and take pictures with them and be there for the ceremony that was inside the house How much older were the stepbr- stepbrothers? Um, six years I, I, I feel bad for not knowing my stepbrothers ages but they're like 6 six years older I want to say like 10 years and like 12 years or something
0: Oh, so they didn't, they had basically fuck all to do with you, right? At least in terms yeah. of level of interest. And,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 My oldest stepbrother, I think, was 17 when I met him.
0: Yeah. Not, not doing a whole lot to hang with the four-year-olds, right?
2: Right. And he had his own set of problems, which didn't help anything. And what were those? Um, I found out as of two years ago that he was molested by his birth father.
0: So your dad decided to marry a woman who'd married
2: a pedophile. Yeah, that's he uh, really I can't him.
0: fucking pick him, can't he? Right. Were any of the other brothers affected that you know of?
2: Uh, they don't say so. Um, once I found this out, I actually caused a big shitstorm in the family and kind of had a family meeting about all this, where you know my parents denied. Everything said all the lines of, you know, parents always say we did the best we could and all that. And, uh, because I couldn't wait, it.
0: sorry, you, you, you brought I'm so sorry. I just
2: missed that. bit. you, what did you bring up in a family meeting and when did it happen? It was 2018, I believe just before Thanksgiving, I exploded on him when he was back. My oldest stepbrother was back in town because, you know, he's deep into alcohol, um, drugs, been to prison a bunch, um, you know, all that. So he was back in town. Nobody wanted to deal with him. And I was like, you know, I'm doing this journey of self-knowledge. Maybe I should talk to him and figure out, kind of see what's going on. And he, he told me all the stuff and I was just, I'm sitting there shocked because I'm like, does, does nobody notice this? Like, am I walking And I, around? I assume,
0: sorry, I assume the abuse was, was pretty bad. It wasn't just like penis grabbing.
2: It was like pretty bad. He didn't tell me that. I right. could see that he doesn't talk to people about that. And he's 45 now.
0: and. By the way, just so nobody misunderstands, penis grabbing is pretty shitty, but there's still levels of molestation. And and yeah. you know, there's there's straight up rape. There's like there's a lot of levels to molestation and uh, and ch- uh, child sexual abuse. And given you know, his his life of, of crime and addiction, uh, I'm gonna assume that it was pretty fucking bad.
2: Yeah, and I've I've met their father. He's a fucking weirdo. Like he just screams by the file.
0: So, how long was it before one of the older brothers introduced you to pornography?
2: Uh, they never did, actually.
0: Oh, good. I'm very glad. Very glad to hear that. Though I'm a little surprised, just, and I'm. But you know, hey, these are good surprises to have, man.
2: I discovered on my own on the internet. <laughs> did someone tell you? I'm sure it was at school or something. You know, uh, being being on the nerdy end. Yeah, I just want to.
0: I, I want to warn. Like, I want to. I just want to sort of take a moment to warn you know, parents, uh, to, to warn parents uh, that, uh, there are the creepy kids who are going to corner your kids and tell them all about sex on the internet and suggest that they look things up and out of curiosity, blah, blah, blah. You just, that's a, that's a, that's a factor in the world that is right. I mean, it's just a factor in the world that is, and parents, you just need to keep those lines of communication, blah, blah. We all understand this, right? So, um, it's it's one of the reasons I don't want my kid in government schools or schools as a whole because I just don't want her to, uh, you know, get cornered by some creepy kid who's gonna anyway anyway God God forbid right so okay so um, did you ever end up with any positive relationships with these uh, any any of the I guess not the oldest but any of the other brothers um, I
2: had a, kind of a good relationship with my um, youngest stepbrother um but a lot of that ended because they all went in the military um and it was sudden and it was all at once so i had a relationship with him but once he got to you know the end of his high school years he's looking back at this little brother like what you know what am i doing with him like he's boring i want to do other stuff chase girls you know play video games on his fancy computer and work his job and didn't really care about me um I bet uh, bet they
0: went into the army because they couldn't protect their brother.
2: Yeah, they all went at the same time, including my sister, except for my oldest stepbrother.
0: Oh, your sister went into the army too?
2: Yeah, she was the one who started it, I believe. Started everybody going. Um, What's her story? Um, Well, it goes all the way back to the original divorce. Um, She was the one who got my dad to quit drinking because one day he was pissed off and angry about something, and he saw the fear in her eyes. This is the story he tells me. And um, he just gave it up right then. He was done. He went to treatment for a month in house or in whatever, inpatient treatment and uh, never drank again. And All she's right. older than you? Yeah, six years older.
0: Six years older than you. So this is probably where some of your male disposability comes from because he only changed because of her, not because of the fear in your eyes, right?
2: Uh, I don't think I was alive when he quit drinking. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. Okay, got it, got it. I think the the divorce stuff was a ramping up situation over time because he also quit smoking weed after the drinking. He gave up weed last, or cigarettes last, but weed was in between. Wait, me. so she, he was weed, alcohol,
0: and nicotine?
2: Yeah, and before kids, he was into LSD and, you know, that kind of stuff. Wow. So—
0: your biological mom, she was around for, I mean, close on 10 years with your raising your sister before she divorced, right? Because if I remember, if I've got the math correct, she's six years, you were three, uh, she's nine. Mm-hmm. So she was around for a good chunk of child raising, right?
3: Right.
2: Right.
0: And do you know, and and then when your dad quit drinking, that's when your mom left?
2: Uh, no. It was mostly it was af, definitely after the weed, though. After he quit the weed, the drinking, I think, started. I forget the weed. Yeah, he started the escalation. I think that started the escalation of him being boring and not, you know, because he was working all the time to provide for the family. So, at least that's was what she
0: materialistic? I, I mean, I guess if she wanted the house, was she like materialistic? Like she wanted more stuff, cooler stuff?
2: I I wish I knew. Um, I don't. I don't know much about her because. Well, she took the house, right? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know. Instead of her kids, and she wanted money, right? Yeah. uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah. And this is just a little bit of advice to you. I don't know what the situation is with your wife, but, you know, given that we're talking to the world as well, listen, guys, guys, husbands, and particularly fathers, your wife is going to want a lot of stuff. And you know what you have to say? Hell no. Hell no. Because if you want all this stuff, I gotta work a lot. And then do you know what you're gonna say? You're emotionally unavailable, you're never here. So the if, if you choose stuff over me, I'd be pretty upset at that. Now, obviously yep. we need a roof over our head, we need food and all of that. But if you choose stuff over me, because you know everything you want, I gotta go out and pay for. And so when you want stuff, you know, let's say you want something that costs, I don't know, a couple of hundred bucks. Well, you know, that could be four or five or six, seven hours of my time. So you want something in the closet, a pair of shoes, or whatever shit that you want. And you want that instead of spending time with me for half a day. And again, I know we need food. Got to have health care. Got to have shelter. Got to have heat. Got to have internet. Got to listen to free domain. Got it. So I'm happy, you know, I'm happy to be gone for seven hours a day, eight hours a day. But if you want me gone nine or 10 hours a day because you want stuff that frankly we don't need, then you're choosing stuff over me. And that's kind of insulting. Like, why would you want a pair of shoes in the closet rather than me across the table? Why? Like, this is not, that's not right priorities. And the other thing too is that the quality of our relationship is really important. And if I have to work overtime to pay for all the stuff you want that we don't need, then our relationship's going to get harmed and it could end up in a divorce. And then all the stuff that you have, we're going to have to sell to pay for lawyers. So you don't get to keep it anyway. So let's just keep our perspective. Let's keep our priorities. Let's enjoy each other's company. Forget all the useless shit we don't need. That's just an important, you know, if you have that kind of, Wife, and you know you may. And listen, if you're the if you're the female provider in the family, and this is your husband wants a bunch of useless shit, gotta have the same speech with him. Nothing matters more than the people in your life. Nothing matters more than the people in your life. And do not choose useless shit over the people you love. It it erodes their sense of value and their sense of worth. And it's not worth it. All the shit that you get, all the stuff that you have, it's just going to turn to ash. Look, you know this, man. How many computers have you been through in your life? 10, 20? Yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah, they all got thrown in ran- landfill. They all, right? How many How many, How many? many cell phones do you have in a drawer somewhere? Same amount. <laughs> yeah, 10, 20, right? Yeah. Now, again, it's fine, you know, get a new self, but, but don't do it to the point, because, you know, we, we have our tech, and they have their closet full of God knows what, right? And, you know, you can go in, and you say, oh, I need a dress. It's like you go in and say, okay, when was the last time you wore this one? When was the last time you wore this one? When did you last, like, look at these shoes, they've got a layer of dust on them. Look at this sweater. It's like under 12 other sweaters, and you tell me you need a sweater. Come on. Now, she can do the same thing with you. You've got a perfectly functional cell phone. Why do you need a new one? Well, it's 4K at 60 frames. And <laughs> we barely even look at the videos you take. Nobody's going to be archiving this and turning it into a Scorsese film, for God's sakes, right? Because, I, I mean, I, I'll spend like crazy on this show, right? And you just have to remember, you know, don't never threaten your relationships for stuff. Never, never, ever, ever, ever. And so you, you got a wife and she's going to want things, hypergamy, the same way that you as a man are going to want things you don't need. You don't need them. You don't need them. And you got to go work to pay for them. You know, at the end of your life, if somebody were to say to you, well, you could have another 10,000 hours with your wife, but you won't have a drawer full of 100 useless cell phones, right? What are you going to say? Say, I want those 10,000 hours with my wife. Because the cell phones actually are going to distract you more from your wife. And, you know, when your wife goes shopping for the shoes or the clothes or whatever, she's not. you're not going, right? You're not going with her. So that's time she's spending, spending away from you, spending money that you have to earn by spending time away from her. The shoes are between you and her. Don't do it man. Don't do it. Don't be distracted by stuff. Don't fall prey to the advertisers. You got to get the coolest thing, but your cell phone doesn't have 300 cameras man. You'd rather have a flip phone, flip phone and a happy marriage. Than an iPhone MaxiPad Pro head and a distant wife. So, sorry for that slight aside, but it's just really really important do not let stuff Come between you and your loved ones. Spend time with them. Be connected with them. And the, you'll find that you just need less stuff anyway. You know, my um, you know, my wife and I, we, uh, so she did a thing where she just, she said, you know what? I don't need anything. I'm not going to buy anything for a year. I think that was two and a half years ago. I think she's bought like one or two things. And I'm like, you know, mm, I really do get a little overboard on tech. You know, uh, so the last thing that I bought was the microphone that I used to record almost with. But I kind of needed that for sanity's sake because it was so much work doing those characters and those voices. The idea that, oh, the levels were a little too high or something happened to the settings. I just, I needed a completely isolated area to uh, to record that in where it was just like one mixer, one computer, one microphone and that's all it does. There's nothing else that it does. I don't boot it up for emails. I don't do anything. I don't install It's just, it's, it's frozen. Nothing changes, nothing happens. And, uh, and so, yeah, just, just try and stay away from stuff you don't need if, if it's going to interfere with, uh, you know, Hey, a vacation. Oh, do you need a vacation? No, but you go on a vacation or you go out for dinner. That's, that's, that's worthwhile because, you know, you get to spend more quality time and, and uh, there's not as much cleanup and you get to have better conversations and the same thing. So I'm, I'm all for, like, buy experiences for sure. And this is the studies show that it's the experiences that make you happy, not the stuff, right? So, yeah, I'm all for for that stuff. You know, um, go, go, go to a butterfly conservatory. You know, go to a science center with, you. you know, you know all this as a dad, right? Just go and have fun, right? I'm, I'm down for that because that's buying quality time together. But stuff is buying unquality time apart, and uh, your mom seems pretty materialistic. If she's like, someone gave you this impression that she got everything because she got some useless shit that doesn't matter anymore. She probably she doesn't even live in that house anymore. The money is long gone, but the void in her heart where her children should be—that's forever, man. Right. Right. All right. Just end. End of. End of advertisement for not listening to advertisements. That's that's it, man. Okay, and and this this did not get deducted from our time together. Just you know, so. Um, <laughs> so how did you, how did your mom's life play out?
2: Um, she had another kid. I have a half brother somewhere in the world. He was um, viciously abused by his father, thrown against walls as an infant, and taken away by the state.
0: I'm so sorry. Uh, I just I am so rude. Somebody just mentioned something in the chat, and I just glanced at it. And so you were talking about your mother. She had another kid with a, a guy who was just horrifying.
2: Yeah, he was. I um, have a half brother, and he uh, he got thrown against walls as a I assume baby or a toddler, and was taken away by the state.
0: Did he uh, Did he suffer brain damage? Did he get messed up that way? I,
2: I was told by her. I asked about him recently, a year like a year ago. What what his name was and everything in case it ever came up, and uh, she said he's normal, but I I don't know if I trust anything she says. So because I did ask. Wait, she
0: him. didn't give you his name?
2: No, she gave him a, his name, but I can't I can't find him. Um, he might have taken his adoptive parents' name.
0: Huh. She. Did you ever of, meet him?
2: No. Um. I I met I probably met him when he was a tiny when he was a tiny baby. I just don't remember how how old were you when she had the kid i think like 6 or 7
0: wait so you had you'd had virtually no contact with your mom then
2: yeah none she uh she got visitation rights like uh, to, like once a month because i didn't finish telling you the story of of what she did the night of the the big breakup i guess all right it, let's it, let's it
0: Im- go back to that i'm happy to hear it, it but, you know a- i
2: probably won't be happy to hear but i'm eager to hear yeah so um it kind of invo- it's kind of my sister's story more because i was three so it's a little bit harder for me to remember anything but um um my dad had gotten home from work taking his boots off was sitting in his recliner you know um and she her they both got in a fight i guess were yelling at each other and she grabbed his work boots and started hitting him in the crotch with him well uh, you know he uh, grabbed her wrist to defend her or to defend himself and oh dear. Uh, um, she bruises like a banana. Um, yeah, um, I, it's, just, it's just her genetics. My sister and I are the same way. You know, you could see when we get hit, we bruise. Um, cops were called because she felt like she was being attacked. And they saw the bruises on her wrist and arrested him. Um, so he got released eventually. Um, all that stuff went to the divorce court, uh, you know, went to a head. And my... Sister had to testify against her mother. Oh my God! Because she witnessed it, she was the now. Only did she one witness to... the beating with the boots? Yeah, she did. She was. The house was quite small. The bedrooms were very close to the living room where it happened. I I think I remember the fight, but I I don't know because my but, bedroom Sorry, but then if, the if she
0: if she was testifying that your mother attacked first, then he was trying to defend himself. So. Did the I mean? Did that all get expunged? Did charges get dropped? Yeah, did was she yeah. ever? Was she ever charged with filing a false police report? Of course she wasn't because vagina, right?
2: And the judge, um, um, you know, took that in consideration. I think in the court and the divorce proceedings, and that's how he got custody of me and my sister. Is that she? Uh, you know, she was found out to be lying about that and abusive.
0: So. And, uh, wait, and abusive? Where was the abusive stuff coming in?
2: Oh, sorry, abusive to, to my dad.
0: Oh, to your dad. Okay, so she was attacking him. Yeah. Boy, there's nothing more enjoyable than coming home from a day's hard work for your family and then literally having your work boots used against your penis. That's attacking a man in his two things, his penis and his work.
2: Yeah. <sighs> so you imagine my sister's life has been... Uh, a series of denial and other issues. Um,
0: well, she she had it rough, too, because it's rougher when it's the same-sex parent who's the most screwed up.
2: Right, and then she... Because she imprints
0: she... on... And, and also your stepmom... Ha- sorry, your mom had a lot more time to impact your sister than you, right? She's around a lot longer. Right, right.
2: and uh, I guess... I, I guess my sister and I had really good relationships, so she kind of acted like my mother, especially for the... Time that I didn't have a mother, so or any any female presence in the house, I guess.
0: Right, right. Okay, okay. And when your mom would, she got visitation rights once a month, and did she take advantage of those? What What happened? What How did those go? Um,
2: they were, I believe, they were under supervision only, so she had to come to my dad's house. And, I would and play he had to stick
0: games. around while she interacted with you guys?
2: Uh, somebody had to, yeah. I think it was either my stepmom or him, based on the time period. Um, I played board games with her, and that was about it. She'd bring me gifts and stuff. And I, don't, I don't remember anything important ever coming out of that.
0: Well, she can't have any depth, because down in the depths is where the conscience is, right? You can't, you can't, you can't, yeah. can't have any depth. It's got to be about nothing. Yeah, People who no have depth relentlessly depth. shallow conversations always have a bad relationship with their own
2: conscience. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, she's got no depth. It's like talking to a ten-year-old. That's bad. Hey, hey, hey! I got, I had a
0: ten-year-old. She was great to talk to. Don't insult ten-year-olds. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with ten-year-olds. Okay, the average. No. <laughs> yeah. No, kids. Kids are pretty deep. You know, kids. Kids are pretty deep because they've got you know, they're still in the relentless curiosity phase as long as they haven't been hugely propagandized, right? Kids are really deep, um, really deep. And um, I remember my daughter, she was like, I don't know, three. And uh, she said, so dying is, you go to sleep, how long till you wake up? Good question. (laughs) It's a deep question, right? It's a deep (laughs) question. And you know you'll have this, right? You you're a philosophical guy. You're a smart guy. Your son is going to be uh, very curious, and uh, curiosity and depth are the same thing. And people who are not curious, who have no depth, well, you know, I don't. Uh, I don't like jumping into an ocean where there's sharks. You know, like you see the fins. You know, they're not dolphins. They're like genuine. Sharks, like tiger sharks or, you know, bitey shit like great whites or whatever. Carcaridon, carcarious, right? I don't I don't like jumping into—I won't jump into—I I swam once with a shark, which was just like a nurse shark or whatever, right? It's no big deal, right? But, I, you know, if there are sharks in the water, I don't jump in. I don't go to the depths when there are predators down there, right? Nobody does. And so people who are shallow, they're just full of sharks. They're just full of predators, the predator being their own conscience, usually. Uh, so yeah, the fact that she's relentlessly shallow makes perfect sense. You trying to drag her into a conversation, it's like trying to drag me into shark infested waters or push me and a fight like hell. All right. All right. So what was your primary emotional experience as a child? Mine was Uh, fear. Just so you know, like, I mean, I don't want to tell you what you're just, you can usually boil it down to something. Mine was fear. Uh, and fear and desire, fear and desire are the two sides of the same coin, because what you fear, you desire to get away from what you fear, right? So the fear and desire uh, was, was pretty characteristic. What was yours? It's a good question for everyone to ask. What's my primary emotion when I'm a kid, right?
2: Yeah. Um, um, I remember, the most, most I remember is, of course, after my dad remarried, I remember constant um, anxiety and fear about every interaction every day. Um, As soon as I heard screaming, it was it was like hearing a banshee's wail. Like just scared the—I mean, not that that's real, but it scared the shit out of me. You know, Um, I'd get to—I remember one thing I used to do all the time is lock my knees and squeeze my legs, and I remember doing that so much. Hiding under my blanket, like it's something I still do today. Like I kind of bundle up in a ball underneath my blanket because I'm I'm hoping that nobody finds me here. Or nobody, or I don't piss piss her off anymore, or something. So,
0: so you understand that flexing your legs and hiding is total fight or flight.
3: Yeah.
0: Right. The legs is flight, and the hiding, sorry, the the hiding is is flight, and the legs is is fight. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess there's fight, flight, and freeze. Maybe the blanket is the freeze. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. And what was the what was the primary danger? What was the stuff? What was the wor- what's the worst case scenario for you as a child?
2: Um, so one thing my my stepmom would do is scream and yell and complain about everything, um, and at wonder why no one's helping her, and then we'd offer to help her, and then she would refuse to help, saying it's too too late. Like start swearing on this and stuff. Um, so the biggest problem was is if we pissed her off too much and she got mad enough she would get my dad. And then my dad was the violent enforcer. He would spank us. Um, I pissed him off enough that i have been hit in the face. Um, I used to have to sit in corners for hours on end. Um, and one time I ate about three quarters of a bar of soap because he caught me lying to him about um, um, scratching his pool table. I was trying to take the ping pong ball top off his pool table. Um, nobody wanted to help me with it and I was too small to lift it myself. And there was metal on the bottom. I didn't know was there and it scratched his pool table and I lied. I lied about it until he got tired of seeing me crying and eating a bar of soap and sent me to my room. So all of that. How did
0: he, how did he catch you? I guess you said I didn't scratch it and people are like, well, no, he took the top off. Right?
2: Yeah. And, and nobody, he knew I was lying because, well, I'm sure he could tell.
0: Yeah, and listen for those for those of you who don't have violent parents, good. I'm very glad that you don't have violent parents. There's almost no dread. Like, I'm fucked now. Right. Like you know, you 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 scratch that pool tabletop, right? You scratch that pool tabletop, and it's like, oh, I'm fucked. Oh,
2: yeah. I'm so dead. I watched him play. Like three or four games of nine ball on that table while eating that soap. Wait, what do you mean? It's he sat there playing pool and watched me eat that bar soap. He played pool on the how how bad was the scratch? It was on the wood. It wasn't on the on the on the belt. Oh shit,
0: sure. so it didn't have anything to do with how you could play.
2: Yeah, it was the cos it was a cosmetic.
0: Oh my god.
2: He was, what the he fuck was... is
0: wrong with people, man? The fuck is wrong with people? This is back to my mom. And I to put the I put the cup of water on a dresser, and it left that little ring because I didn't know I didn't know about coasters. I was a little kid, right? And she'd beat the shit out of me, right? And your dad is like forcing you to eat three quarters of a bar of soap, which you know can be pretty bad for you, right? And humiliating and bullying you. Because of a scratch on a piece of fucking wood. I don't, I don't, I genuinely do not know what the fuck is wrong with people. It's a scratch on a piece of wood for fuck's sakes. Who cares?
2: Well, and, you know, what makes it worse is I wanted to play pool because I wanted to play with my dad.
0: Yeah, of course. Oh, okay. He didn't play ping pong, but he liked to play pool. So you want? Oh, okay. oh, my god! So you want to spend quality time with your dad, and you end up with this Niagara of soap down your throat. Yeah, yeah. Uh... The fuck, man! It's yeah, so no weird. Problem. You know, kids do kids do this stuff, and and sometimes they'll do this stuff. Like my daughter was was moving something on on the console, and I said, "Be careful!" And and she knocked uh, the the an Xbox, or I can't remember. She knocked something off. Yeah, and it, it, it gouged the shit out of the, the hardwood when it landed, right? And, you know, of course you feel this oh my God, I have power. <gasps> I have, I even told her to be careful, and she, you know. And what do I care about the fucking hardwood? What do I care about the hardwood? I mean, it's not like I don't care, like I'll just go skating on it. I mean, I get it, right? It's nice to have some decent stuff around, right? But why would I hurt my daughter? Because she put a dent in some dead wood. Like, the fuck, right? It's so so deranged. Like, okay, let me ask you this. Where's that pool table now?
2: It's torn down. I don't even know where it's at. I think, oh, I think one of my brother's stepbrothers
1: has
0: it now. It's not even assembled. Oh, so it's just, it's in some fucking basement, some garage in pieces, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's great, right? It's great. So your dad perhaps irreparably harmed his relationship with you over some piece of fucking wood that's sitting in a basement doing nothing, right?
2: Well. And it's, it's, it's even worse because he, he brags about that to this day. What does he say? Well, you know, putting in blue collar trade, it's not uncommon to hear this stuff, but you know, he talks about, uh, he's cut you know, about the time he made me eat a bar of soap and fucking most people in the trade have heard the story because my part, my particular corner of the industry is quite small.
0: Okay, so just tap your mic because it's crackling again, and God. just be your dad. Be your dad telling me this story. You know, your dad. I'm I'm just some asshole across the table at the Legion or whatever, right? And uh, we're having some beers, and and how does he tell the story? What's the story?
2: Oh, I I don't know how it ever comes up in the story in the conversation, but he's like, you know, I had him I ate the bar of soap one time because I caught him lying to me. You know, taught him to never lie again. Something like that, right? Right, you know,
0: uh, you know, quick, quick, fucking question, if you don't mind. Did your father make a promise to your mother until death do you part, for better, or for worse, in sickness and in health?
2: He considers himself a Christian, so I bet he did.
0: Of course, he did. Right? That's a that's a pretty important promise, wouldn't you say? Yes. Right. Did. That promise get kept in his marriage? No. Now, did he, you know, when his wife said, I'm leaving you, did he say, oh, no, this is, this is a really important promise, much more important than a, a, a piece of wood that's going to end up in a basement somewhere 30 years from now, 25 years from now? So, you know, sorry, honey, I'm going to have to wash your mouth out with soap because you lied to me about staying with me. Like, we, we got into this marriage, we had kids because we made a vow and a commitment to each other, under God, to be together until the end of our lives. A solemn vow on our very souls, and the health and welfare of our children depends upon us keeping this vow. So, funny story, turns out your dad's a fucking tough guy when it comes to bullying a little kid. but. His wife breaks a promise to him. And he ain't washing her mouth out with soap. Why? Because she called the cops. He's a tough guy. I mean, I hear that story. And my first question is, holy shit, dude. You washed your kid's mouth out with soap because he lied to you? What about when your wife left you and broke her vows? What did you do with that? Uh, nothing.
2: I got it. I got another story then.
0: Hit me. Well, you know what I mean. Right. Um,
2: I found out, what, back in 2012? Hey, think wait, tap your mic, tap your mic. Okay, oh, go ahead. sorry, Steph. It's all right. Don't, it
0: don't, don't sweat it. it. doesn't matter. Just keep going with the story. I just don't want um, to be distracted for the crackle. Go ahead.
2: Um, my, I found out that, I think my dad told me when I was, um, I apprenticed under him for a very short time. It was like four or four, six months. Um, but he told me, one day when we stopped at the bank, I'm like, "What are you doing at this bank? This isn't your bank." And he's like, "Oh, um, yeah, your mother, referring to my stepmom, um, put me in debt about a hundred k."
0: What now? She put him in debt about a hundred thousand dollars.
2: Yeah, and never told him. So just how do you do that? Didn't who? What does
0: she run the finances? she felt guilty about what happened to
2: her oldest son and was paying a shit ton of money for his kids, all of his kids he's had out of wedlock, and you know his prison stuff, his lawyer fees, his alcohol treatment. She'd been pouring money into him without telling the family.
0: Did she make money? Did she have money? No, no. Oh, so she felt guilty so your dad had to pay. Right. Oh isn't that really really the quintessence of female responsibility? I feel bad so I'm gonna steal from you and your kids because that's money that you could end up inheriting right? Yeah or could have. So, so she yeah so she lied to him and stole a hundred thousand dollars from him. you know I'm no I'm no mathematician, but it seems to me that could buy a fuck ton of uh, pool tables, right? What is it, two grand for a pool table? So we're talking 50 pool tables? Yeah. Yeah, 50 entire pool tables versus one tiny little scratch. So he lies. Now, does he then take her to court? Does he get her punished? Does he wash her mouth out with soap? No! Even though repairing your damage, you know, a little bit of fucking wood glue, uh, you know, buff it up a little, you know, it's 20 minutes and maybe 10 bucks to fix your shit. 10 bucks, $100,000 dollars. You know, so the tough guy. uh oh, made my kid wash his mouth out with soap because lying is just so bad. Oh, your wife stole a hundred thousand dollars from you. What did you do? Nothing, because I'm a tough guy. I, I, I'll bully kids, but you see, my wife, she's scary. Yeah, uh, I can't tell you the contempt I have. I can't. I can't even
2: tell you. Yeah, he stayed with her. Still with her. Of course. Her. Paid it all and, off. Worked extra overtime to pay it off. Right. 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 And she still complains Didn't take it to money. the cops,
0: didn't demand she get a job, nothing like that, right? And he brought this abusive woman into your life, right? And yep. kept her there. Yeah. Does he think of himself as a good dad? Yes he does. On what grounds would he consider himself a good dad? I provided. No, you wanted to get away from your wife. Yes. guys. The guy's probably relieved that she put him in. Oh, I'm so happy you put me in debt, honey, because now I get to spend more time away from you paying it off. That's why I'm not so mad. Oh, thank God. Please put me in debt more so I can spend more time away from you.
2: Yeah. Um. He, he grew up extremely poor, like impoverished, like had an outhouse at one time. Yeah. Um, you know, no bathroom in the house. Um, so he he always tells the story that you know he decided that he, he had so many Christmases without presents and stuff because um, of course he came from a single mother house. Um, she was a truck driver, one of the first female truck drivers in the country. Just she's kind of she was crazy, my grandmother. Um, but uh, he said he would never ever have our have his kids go without stuff ever again, and so he he used that. to to, he says to push himself to work hard and get where he was because he went through night school to get get his position worked full time um, while doing all that and you know has put poured everything into his work essentially and neglected I would argue everything else yeah I
0: I don't know what to say man I mean People who consider themselves good parents, they never actually ask their kids what the kids want. I don't know what the hell they're talking about.
2: No, I, yeah. They never ask me anything ever. Yeah.
0: Like, what do you want do you do? I mean, what, what would make you happy? Right. What what, 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 you know, I'm a service provider to my daughter. I'm a service provider to you in this conversation, right? People support me in this show. And, and after this call, we're going to have a conversation about modding, uh, uh, moderating and all that, which is important because that's a service provision as well. But you know the idea that you, I'm a good dad. It's like you never asked me what I wanted as a kid. Doesn't matter. I'm a good dad because it's all about me. I just want to say I'm a good dad. Okay. Well, um, by what standard compared to what? Well, I grew up poor, and my kids had stuff. It's like, did they have the stuff they wanted? Did, did you know? Did Did they have your company? Did they have your love? Did they have your engagement? No but I washed his mouth out with soap when he told an innocuous lie while I worked to cover up much bigger lies that have been told to me by the adults in my life. Yeah. People, who bully, people who bully children, I mean, come on. It's the most despicable, cowardly thing that there is. You know, I'd have respect for your dad if he's like, oh, yeah, when, when, your, when your mom told me she was going to leave me, I washed her mouth out with soap. Okay, not good, but at least it's consistent. <laughs> but it's like, oh no, the, the kids who are helpless. Oh yeah, I'll totally bully them when they cross me. The women who lie to me and steal hundred thousand dollars from me. Oh yeah, no, it's, no I'm not going to say anything. I'm, I'm not going to say anything to them. To assault and bully children for nothing, for accidents. You know, see, here's here's what your stepmom should have done, right, with regards to the pool table. Here's what your stepmom should have done. Your stepmom should have come to your defense. Do you know why? No. Because your stepmom had one big complaint, which was nobody
2: does what? I'm sorry, I don't know. I'm I'm not sure you, you said you
0: this on. to me earlier. Sorry, I'm being a bit opaque. So you said that one of the things that your stepmom would get really angry about is she'd say, well, nobody helps me. Nobody helps out around here. Right. i got to do it all myself, right? Now, you wanted people to help you lift the ping pong table off the pool table, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But nobody did, right? No. So when this stupid little scratch occurred on the pool table, your stepmom should have said, I know exactly how you feel. You wanted people to help you, and they didn't. And that's been my big complaint, so I really understand where you're coming from. Yes. But she didn't. So, of course, you have to be something other than who you are for people to be interested in you, right? Of course, it's got to be you plus alcohol, you plus charisma, you plus parties, you plus all of the amazing manipulations that you can make. Of course, you've got to put on a big, giant show. For people to be interested in you, to care about you, to find you a value. you can't just be you. It's got to be you plus, right? I talked about this in the Robin Williams video from years ago, right? What if you don't have a show to put on? This is a big question for everyone. What if you don't have a show? When you're at your raw, unadulterated self. What if you can't offer money, or sex, or status, or approval, or parties, or praise? What if you can't offer any of that to people? What if some god, or some devil, or some benevolent philosophical angel scrubbed all of that from your vocabulary, and you were not able to buy anyone's attention with anything other than the bare forked animal of your essential self. What if you couldn't tell jokes? What if you couldn't provide insights? What if you? What if you just were there? Now I get if you're in a coma. Oh, it's at your essential. I. I'm not saying. You can't speak. But what if it's just you? Is that enough? Is that interesting? Well, when we're told, for the first twenty years of her life, you are not interesting. You have no value. You are an annoyance. You are bad. You are wrong. You are broken. And I'm going to fix you by hitting you or yelling at you or calling you names. Your opinions don't matter. Your choices don't matter. Your perspectives don't matter. You don't matter. You are here to serve my convenience. And anytime you don't, I'm going to hit you like a half-broken television hoping to get a better picture. You damn well please me or I will fuck you up. And by the way, probably eight times out of 10, it's going to be kind of impossible to please me because I'm moody as fuck. And what pleased me yesterday is going to annoy the shit out of me today. And what annoyed me yesterday, I will find funny today. And if you make a mistake, sometimes I'll laugh, sometimes I'll get enraged, sometimes I'll ignore it. There's no way to know because I have all of the consistency of a guy trying to paint a portrait while having an epileptic attack. And you will end up molding yourself so completely around me that you will have to become water, clear, tasteless, odorless, invisible, and with no shape of your own. And then, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bowl you out into the world. Except you're not a bowling ball. I'm just basically going to pour a pitcher of water out onto the bowling lane. Because you don't have any shape. I wouldn't let you have any shape. Any shape you had was an offense under mine eyes. And i pour you out onto the bowling alley. And then, good luck bowling. Good luck knocking down some pins. Good Good luck having a life. I turned you into a ghost. I loosed you on the world. And you've got to go get people interested in you. You've got to get people to find you of value. You've got to get women to want to date you. You've got to get people to want to employ you. You've got to get friends who want to spend time with you. But you kind of don't exist because I smashed you into your component atoms or prevented them from forming in the first place. So now you're out there in the world. And because I hollowed you out from the inside you got to put on one fucking hell of a show. One hell of a show to get people interested in you. Because on your own, without the show, without the booze, without the parties, without the tits, without the abs, without the looks, you're nothing. And the more you put on a show, the more you're proving me right. The more glitter and moves and charisma that you put on, the more you're absolutely affirming that I was totally right in my belief that you're nothing. The more you fight to materialize, the more you disappear inside. The more show you put on the less you are there. And the more success you have in your show, the worse it will be when you hit 30. Now, the reality is, my friend, you're worth everything. You're worth everything. All you have to do is look at yourself through the eyes of your son. You are a God who strides the entire world from horizon to horizon. You know everything. You're infinitely strong. You're infinitely wise. You're infinitely knowledgeable. He looks up to you in a way that we can only mirror by thinking of God himself. And that's the battle, It's between your father and your son. And your father is at one end saying, you're nothing. And your son is at the other saying, dad, you are everything. And your dad wants you to drink. And your son wants you sober and your wife is probably halfway between the two. And so are you. Drink, alcohol, addiction, erases you. It erases you. And if your abusive parents are not in your life, you will substitute their erasure of you with alcohol's erasure of you. Whether you don't exist because your parents are abusive, or you don't exist because you're drunk, the non-existence that serves your parents and destroys you still manifests. And to a much smaller degree, I mean, I've gone through this this uh, over this last year. From a vast audience, it's much shrunken. From going out and doing documentaries and confronting people in public places and staring down communist military police and taking the tear gas, I have been home. From half a million on Twitter, a million on YouTube, can get a couple of hundred people on a live stream. Who am I without the audience? Who are you without the alcohol? I built that audience up for 15 years. Poof. Gone. How many people followed me? Not many. How many people are going to be interested in you? Without the show, without the charisma, without the alcohol, without the provision, of manic energy at the expense of your health and future and capacity for intimacy. Well, the whole point of life is to manifest yourself before you die. Because sure as shit, when you're gone, you can't be there. You can't manifest. You can't exist. I am more real to myself without an audience. And you will be more real to yourself and those around you without the alcohol. And the alcohol is your father and your mother and your stepmother all saying to you at the same time, you better not fucking exist. Because if you exist in our minds we then have to have empathy and have to care about you. And we can't do that. We miss the window, we miss the growth, we miss the opportunity. We can no more develop empathy than you can grow a fucking trunk like an elephant. You have to not exist so that our own deficiencies don't become real to us. Our own non-existence can't be made real to us, so we have to erase everyone around us. And that's how we dominate our own death, spiritually. And every time you take a drink, you're pissing on the fire of your own existence and the necessary bond that your son needs to have with you. And you're letting them win. And the childhood never ends. And the non-existence continues. And every time you shame yourself by putting on a show. Or you echo your parents shaming of you. For putting on a show. You simply affirm the emptiness afflicted on you by your empty parents. And I say this with no shred of criticism, no shred of negativity, with all the love for this situation that I have, which is considerable heartfelt, personal, and immense. That what you have done to drag your true self, your capacity for authenticity, what you have done to drag the wounded self of your origins through This fucked up world and arrive at this conversation is heroic beyond words. I'm pretty good with words. I cannot express that one. I cannot. There's no medal big enough. There's no orchestra loud enough. There's no fireworks show dazzling enough to honor the respect that I have for you dragging this casualty to this hospital and to have this conversation. Not just one-on-one, but for the world. It's heroic. And it means, fundamentally, if you want to, you've won. You've won. You get the happy life. You get the health. You get the connection. You get the love. You get the parenting. You get the fatherhood. And you've won. You've won so completely that if you look at the alcohol as the poison being fed to you, you didn't get mother's milk, you got apple juice, which is sugary, useless shit. You didn't get mother's milk, you got apple juice. You didn't get parenting, now you get alcohol. It's the same as the apple juice just useless, destructive shit. Fruit juice is garbage. Alcohol is garbage. And it's no substitute for love, and you'll never get that love because they have no capacity to love. You can't harm people that much and ever end up loving yourself, let alone others. So you'll never get that love. And now you're in the incredible position of providing what you did not receive. There's nothing more powerful in life than giving a virtue you never received, because if you give a virtue that you already received, that's good. That's nothing worse. It's a good thing to do. It's a fine thing to do, but it's kind of like donating money you inherited. You didn't earn it, but it's good to give it if you can afford it and it's to a good cause. But to give something to your son that you did not receive yourself is the most incredible act of personal and planetary healing that can be conceived of. To create a virtue out of nothing is the essence of civilization. It's why we have everything that is worth having, is someone created a virtue out of nothing. And you are forced to create a virtue out of nothing, which means you fully own it, it's fully yours, and it's fully manifest. You didn't inherit it, it wasn't handed to you. In fact, The counter-signaling to the virtue that we talk about here is legion across the world. The amount that we get attacked for the simple virtues of holding people to their public statements. We care about children. We love children. Violence is a bad way to solve problems. Abuse is a bad way to solve problems. Okay, let's make that universal. (gasps) Cult leader. Fuck them, right? Yeah. So you have an amazing personality and opportunity to provide what you never received. It it is incredible. It's like when I was a little kid, I remember talking to a guy who was an engineer. I was in the backseat of a car. I was six years old in Africa with a bunch of my dad's friends. We were coming back from Kenya National Park, something like that. And they were talking about electricity generation, and I remember saying, and even if I said, as I said, it it didn't make much sense to me, but I remember saying, well, if you could find a way to get an electric a plant that ran on electricity to produce more electricity, that would solve a lot of problems. And the guy, he kind of rolled his eyes and he said, yeah, but that means the output is bigger than the input, which is not possible, blah, 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 right? Okay, so physically that's impossible. You can't give what you didn't get. You can't, re- we can't release kinetic energy if you've never accumulated kinetic energy. But you can create a virtue you never received. You can create a virtue you never received, which is like snapping your fingers and having fucking Atlantis rise from the ocean. And the transmitting of a virtue you never received means manifesting yourself in the image of truth and integrity in a way that is immensely dangerous to all the power structures the world over. I mean, there's the personal and then there's the political, right? And it's not just your parents, it's society as a whole. You know, why do they want us drugged out and stupid on carbs and sugar and? Plastic cardboard food that we have to stuff down our gullets because mommy wanted to go and earn two bucks an hour at the customer complaints department at the local mall. Why did they want us fapping rather than breeding? Why do they want us addicted to video games rather than wisdom? It's not just your parents. Your parents are part of a larger machinery that empties out human beings in return for obedience. You know, we used to be serfs chained to land. Now we're serfs chained to words, to propaganda. We can't do anything. We can't be real. Truth will get you punished. Reality kills. Honesty destroys. And to break this cycle is not just personal. It is to create a doorway to the future through which your son can pass and survive. Survive at a spiritual level, at a self-identity level. You can, by putting down the drink, by talking things over with your wife, by committing to being honest, no show, no show, no bullshit, no noise, no fucking laser lights, (laughs) no disco balls, no show, then by being real, you can be the portal through which your son can sail through to a world where he could survive without the same struggles that you've had to have just in order to survive. And It doesn't make any of the terrible things that happened to you good. But by God. It gets the most gold out of the outhouse that is humanly possible. Fuck the past. Be honest. Be real. In the now. That is a victory. Doesn't just light up your son's eyes. Enough of us do it. Lights up the whole fucking planet. Can you do a no show life? Sorry, what's that, Steph? Tell me what you're thinking, what you're feeling.
2: I'm. I'm just thinking about thinking about my son and all the all the things I want to do, all the things I want to learn with him. Like, I didn't I didn't have any of that, you know. I was just this object in the house. I, I don't want to. I don't want to do that to him. And I know that's what the drinking's going to do.
0: Yeah. That's what the machine wants you to do so that your son can turn into a machine like your father. And you were worse. You, were, you weren't even treated as an object. This is what pisses me off about your father. See, you know what was an object it was the fucking pool table. And he protected the pool table at your expense. If you had been an object, you'd have been treated infinitely better. Do you see what I mean? If your, if your father had protected you as much as he protected that useless fucking pool table, you would have been infinitely better off. If my mom had protected me as much as he protected that stupid fucking dresser. We... We, as children, my friend, we could only aspire to be objects, to be things, to be furniture and pool tables and dressers. We could only aspire to be car doors. Can you imagine if you'd put a ding in your father's car door? We could only aspire and dream of the day when we might be treated as an inanimate object, to be protected and shielded. Oh, what I wouldn't have given to be a, pre- a piece of furniture in my mother's house. Oh, God, that would have been fantastic. Oh, my God. To have been a plate? Because if you chipped a plate, you got beaten up. To uh, To have been a plate would have been a near infinite step up. Do you see we could only dream of being protected like objects. We, we, we were the opposite of what was. We were the opposite of existence. And, and if we had been protected the way that pool tables and dressers had been protected, well, God. My God. My God, can you imagine what it would have been like to be as respected and loved and protected as a pool table? That would would have been amazing.
3: I, I, uh,
2: my father loves his damn work too much I wish I could be his work
0: your father doesn't love anything my friend your father doesn't love anything he doesn't love his work you know you understand his work is your alcohol his work is his show right It's how he provides value. I paid for things. I worked. Put a roof over your head. Hey, man, that soap that I stuffed down your fucking throat wasn't going to buy itself. I didn't steal that. I mean, I stole your childhood. I stole your existence and your soul. But I didn't steal the soap that I abused you with. I paid for that. You know, the words no show are really powerful. Because they, it, it, it's, it means two things, right? No, there's no show. And no show, hey, he's a no show. What does that mean? You're throwing a party, somebody's a no show. What does that mean? I'm sorry, I, I don't know. If if you're throwing a party and Bob's a no show, what does that mean? He's He's not there. He's not there. Isn't that the big fear? No show is no show. No show, there's no show, means no show, no existence, not there. That we're nothing without the show. We're nothing without the charisma. We're nothing without the alcohol. We're nothing without the parties. And this is the amazing opportunity that children give us, right? It's the amazing opportunity kids don't. Care about the show. They don't care about the show. They don't want the show. How well does charisma work on your son? (laughs) Seriously? That doesn't work at all. Doesn't work at all. He doesn't care. You got a six month old baby. How much does he care about the shininess of his mother's pumps? I don't mean breast pumps, I mean shoe pumps. Like their shoes. Right, it doesn't give a shit. Doesn't give a shit. Mommy got her hair done. Don't care. Missed you when you were gone. Thought you might have been dead. Kind of traumatized me. Don't care about your hair color. How much does my daughter care that I'm bald? None. Doesn't care at all. Doesn't care at all. Kids. Strip us down, to the no-show part of us. And that's, really, hard. Because if we're not entertaining, who the hell are we? You know, you ever want to really? De- you ever want to really de- be depressed? Go chat with a comedian on his day off. Not-
2: You know, um, this makes a lot of sense looking at it from this perspective, at least for my father's life. Because seeing him away from his work is a different him than when he's out there putting on the show. When I apprenticed under him, I saw it in full action. What did you see? I saw the, the whole show he put on, how everything changes and it's the same fucking thing I do. Right. And not only did I follow, I'm his son, I followed in his career path. And I do the same the same thing. The As same you say, show. you're
0: very good at sales, right? You know how to mold yourself into what people want. Right. Except it doesn't work with your son. No. <laughs> you can't manipulate your toddler, right? No, I
2: can't.
0: I mean, I guess you could give them candy or whatever, right? But, you know, certainly, you know, when they're babies, you can't manipulate anything. They're very, and and babies have no show. Right. Here's the thing: babies and toddlers they have no show. I mean, if they have a show, if toddlers have a show, it's because they're really in a difficult environment, right? And they gotta try and find a way to survive. But you know, you're I'm sure you're into peaceful parenting, and so you're not bullying or yelling at or threatening your son. So he's got no show. Now, here's the thing: you love him because he has no show. If he had a show, that would be a sign that you were a bad parent, right? Right. So you love him for his lack of artifice, his lack of manipulation, his genuine, deep authenticity. You love him for that. And you're like, well, no, for me to be loved, I got to put on a show. But I love my son because there's no show. It's like, hello, crossed wire as much? Can't you, I mean, wouldn't it be great to be like your son? Absolutely. Yeah, no show. Ah, but if I have no show, people won't care about me. People won't love me. People won't be interested in me. Well, that's kind of (laughs) true. But not in the way we think. So it is true that a lot of people, most people, won't be interested in us if we don't put on a show, right? But we don't want those people anyway. No show is a great shield for empty people. It keeps them away. It repels them. And we don't know why your mom left your dad. Because your dad sure as hell did not give up on his addictions or his show or his emptiness. If he had, he wouldn't have married your freak nightmare of a stepmom.
2: Right. And when, when you,
0: you achieve mother. authenticity, you don't go and say, Oh, great, I think I'm going to get married to a woman who was married to a pedophile. And I'm going to take on her kids because that's just going to be great.
2: Yep. When I had the conversation with the whole family about my oldest stepbrother and all that stuff blew up. I was four hours just pissed off trying to explain it to my dad. And I, I remember just this like half dead look in his eyes like he just didn't understand. Oh, um, no, he understood. He was just plain possum, right? He's
0: got right. rubber bones. Yeah. No, just... and here's the thing, too. Do you know how healing it would have been for your stepbrother, for the family to have acknowledged his pain? And they're like, nope, we're not going to heal him. Nope, screw him. No, he can continue to suffer. No, no, no. It's all about our self-protection in the moment. To hell with what happens to other people. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's murderous. You understand? It's direct. It's it's a murderous impulse to withhold salvation from someone who's going through intense agony for the sake of your own selfish pleasure. Well, of course, that's addiction, right? Withholding right. the salvation of others for the, your own selfish pleasure. That's you with the drinking. That's them with the withholding of honesty about his abuse. But yeah, your son is a is a great gift to you and you are a great gift to him. You know, when you're sitting there with a kid, you know, i I'm, I, I love in the morning just you know, sitting on the chair by my daughter's bed, just chatting. Just just chatting. Just Hey, good morning. How you doing? What do you want to do today? Do you have any dreams? Here's what I thought about. I did a great show last night. This is what I talked about. Oh, yeah. Just chatting.
2: How, uh, this may seem stupid, but how did you ever figure out? I mean, uh, I I don't even know what what is normal, what what to talk to people about. Like,
0: oh yeah, that's easy. No, that's easy, man. It's whatever you miss the most is what what is normal. Whatever yeah. whatever breaks your heart the most, you got people in the chat here bawling their eyes out, I sympathize, man. Whatever you miss the most is what is normal. Whatever you were the saddest about not getting as a child is the good.
2: No, I, I I think that makes sense. My one thing I've done with my son since he was born was every day ask him how his sleep was, mm-hmm. even even though he doesn't know. I, I just want to get in a good habit of, you know, making sure I take him into account. Of
0: course, of course.
2: Because I don't, I don't, I can't even do that with my wife. I mean, I, I'm I'm so distant and focused on my show. I don't I don't even consider her half the time or most of the time.
0: Yes, and your wife is sort of a separate category because she has a show of her own and she obviously likes her show. Sorry, she she likes your show for you know, obviously to to be the partner of the life of the party is pretty high status because you're you're a total alpha in that situation, right? Right. So you're like James Bond in that in that situation. And um, obviously she likes that. And here's the here's the funny thing. Like I, I'll tell you this straight up, right? Well, let me ask you this. And ask this to the people in the chat too, right? Ask this to the people in the chat. Okay, so we say, oh, I'm doing a show. This is a show. Let me ask you this. It's a leading question, and you're perfectly free to disagree with me. And I'll tell you what I think. What I do particularly in these conversations, is the least show-show there is. It's the least show-show that exists. I'm not trying to do a show here. I'm not trying to put on an act. I'm not trying to manipulate. And, and tell me if that's a misinterpretation on my part or if something's not correct about that. But I've always kind of aimed in these kinds of conversations. Simple, straight conversation, the least show show that there is no so james says i don't think there's any bullshit at all at all and i appreciate that now you can have a show that's not bullshit but i'm not putting on an act here i'm not faking anything i don't have my voice fm voice you know, you know like the announcer voice you know, you know the the guys who race through those apr financing things at the end of used car sales right. and so on, anything like that but this is just this is straight conversation right and so I always say, "Oh, I have a show!" Or I say, oh, "I have a show tonight." Or I did a show last night. It's not a show. <laughs> it's not a show. And if I ever feel like it does become a show, like I'm doing something for effect, or I'm trying to control something, or I'm trying to get an impression across, or I'm trying to get someone to feel something, if I if I ever feel like I'm manipulating, I will take a breath and I like, no, 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 recommit to just you know straight up honesty, right? And so that's what's wild about I think what happens here in these conversations. It's the least show-show there is. In in fact, it's really the opposite of a show because this is a public forum discussion where there's no show. You know, when you think of... I don't know. No hate on any of these guys, right? If you think of people like, I don't know, Tucker Carlson and so on, right? A, 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 good, a good presenter. But you couldn't think of sitting across... Tucker Carlson at dinner and having him talk to you the way that he talks to the camera. Does does that sort of make sense? Right. And it would be like you couldn't imagine sitting across from Rachel Maddow and having her do all those weird faces or Brian Stelter or like any of these guys who do shows or even Dr. Phil, right? You couldn't imagine him talking to like you across the table the way that he talks to the camera, right? And I've always sort of tried to aim to, okay, let's let's just have a conversation. Right, which is kind of spontaneous. And I don't want it to be like completely separate from if we were just having a conversation. That would be kind of strange, right? Was the Doctor Phil thing, or, or like I don't know if it's any anywhere close to what. We, but it's just, I want to. I, I don't want to. It's like I want to model the least show show there is, or I want to model the non show aspect of, of human nature. I'm really not trying to put on a show. I'm not trying to impress people. I'm not trying to be cool. I'm not trying to, you know, I know when I'd give a good speech or whatever, but I would give that speech if we were face to face. I give these speeches to myself. I talk about this with, with this way with friends, with with family, like this is to, to pull down artifice to not have an act is really important. And the more that the show spread and spreads, and the more people don't have acts, you understand, we are destroying the currency of
2: falsehood.
0: Because for your father and your mother, having an act, having bullshit, was totally fine they got married they had kids they had jobs because bullshit and abuse and falsehood and false self that is the currency of the world prefabricated identities prefabbed personalities you know clichés fedora wearer the leftist with blue hair the conservative with the the gut and the gun right like all of these prefabricated identities, that that is the currency of the world. And when that currency reigns, our currency devalues. When our currency gains in value, their currency goes down in value. And people don't want to lose their money. They don't want to lose their currency. They don't want to lose their value in the world. And the fact that this is the least show-show that there is and ever will be, I think, is part of the peculiar power that we have here and also part of, again, the attacks, the hostility, is authenticity threatens everything. I mean, you saw that when you brought the truth of your stepbrother's rape as a child or molestation as a child. You brought that truth, that honesty, that reality to your family. What happened? <laughs> the Nile. You threatened the whole structure. Yeah. The whole structure. And people, you know, and God bless them in many ways, right? So, but people think, oh, I'm going to go march in the street and I'm going to wave placards and, and that's going to change things. You know, it's really not, really. It's not a bad thing to do and it's fine. You can meet people, you can get some messages out, but to be honest and authentic and curious and real because all show is fear. The show is fear. You know that. That's why you're facing this depression, right? Right. Who the fuck am I if I'm not impressing people? Who the fuck am I if I'm just me? If there's no show, the fundamental addiction is to the show.
2: You're absolutely right. Um, my work the last month and a half has been, has been bad. Well, the,
0: show is killing the show's killing you. Not working. It's not that the show's not working, the show's fucking killing you. That's why, that's why we're talking now, not tomorrow. I want you to be alive, right? right? There's a show tomorrow. Could have booked you in there, talked to you tonight. The show's killing you, man. Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, tell me if I'm stating things too far. But no, your health, I... your psychology, your relationships, your happiness, your productivity, like, it's fallen down, isn't it? Yeah, all of it. All of it. Because your truth self is seeing a fucking crack in the sky, man, or a a crack in the roof, right? We're all born alive, and we're we're fucking buried. We're We're just buried. We're buried in bullshit. We're buried in lies. We're buried in propaganda. We're buried in defenses. We're buried in abuse. We're all born, and we're just buried. And when we're kids, the coffin is fucking five miles under the earth. It's just five miles under the earth. And it's like, you don't look for cracks of sunlight when you're five miles under the earth. And then this show comes along and other things come along. And we float up and we float up and we float up. We start to smell something different. We're not surrounded by rot and death and magma and bodies. And we float up and we float up. And eventually we float to the surface of the world. And then there's a couple of thumping sounds and a little axe head comes through the top, and suddenly like our eyes sting like shit, because we can see the sky for the first time from five miles under the earth, buried there by history, personal, political, cultural. We float to the surface of the world, three axe blows, three podcasts, and our eyes water, why do our eyes water? Because we see light for the first time. And when we see light for the first time, We'll scratch the shit out of our hands to get out, right? To get out into the into the air. So Fauci can hand us a mask. <laughs> right? We get out into the air. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So your life is falling apart, I think. Because you wanna you want out. You want out of the show, you want out of the lies, you want out of the manipulation, you want out of the Constant reaffirmation that you're not good enough, that you're not important, that you're not interesting, that happens every single time you put on the show and every single time you drink to be something other than who you are in order to bear your own existence. Because you see cracks of the roof of the coffin. And your son needs you because he's up there, right? You either go up to him or you've got to pull him down to you. But you can't parent from where you are. I think. And you don't want to pull him down to you. That's letting your dad and history and death win, right? you got to get up to where he is, right?
2: I I can't imagine hurting him, and that's what's also bringing me here. Right, right.
0: It's not his fault you had an asshole for dad and dead-eyed bitches for moms and stepmoms. It's not his fault. He's pure. He's innocent. He's got no responsibility for history. He didn't do it to you. And because he didn't do it to you, he shouldn't suffer for it, right? Absolutely. My daughter my daughter never beat me up. My daughter never screamed names at me. My daughter never pounded my head against the door. My daughter never threw knives at me. Why would she suffer one bit for what she never did? Unjust punishment is the root of most dysfunction. I mean, if I punish her, even by not being available, I'm not much better than my mom. And even if my one of my big motivations when I was younger was just wanting to feel superior to my mom. Okay, that's, uh, hey, whatever gets you there, man. It's like, like the coach says, whatever gets that goal in the net or whatever gets that ball in the net. But it's not his fault and he shouldn't be punished at all, right? and freedom from the fists of your father is refusing anything but the best for your son that's what that's what frees us I honestly cannot remember the last time I thought of my mother that's freedom, you understand I'm not avoiding thoughts of her but that's freedom because i have used every piece of violence she ever gave me to create the cathedral of peace that is my life you know it's what jesus says you beat your swords into plowshares i don't know what a plowshare is exactly but it sounds pretty good sensibly sounds better than a sword right but you take everything that was done unto you, and you flip it, and you reverse it, and you've got a sure guide as to how to be best for your son. It's perfect. You don't have to learn a new language. You just have to reverse. Your father was distant, you'd be close. Your father was violent, you'd be peaceful. Your father abused, you'd be curious. Your father punished, you ask. He's taught you everything that you need to know to be a fantastic parent. It's just on the flip side of fuck him. And you gotta stop punishing yourself. Because you know, understand alcohol is a form of self punishment, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You gotta start punishing yourself. It wasn't your fault. It wasn't your fault. That your dad treated you this way, that your mom treated you this way, that your stepmom treated you this way. It's not your fault. They made their choices and they are a hundred percent responsible for those choices. And their choices are deep in the rear view. They can't change them. They can't go back and be good parents now. They never... They, people say, my mom, my dad, it's like, to me, after 18, yeah, I don't know. Being a parent to a 20-year-old is nothing at all like being a parent to a two-year-old or a two-month-old or a two-day-old. I mean, they're not even in the same category to me. I mean, of course, you could still use the word, you know, whatever, but... but People say my mom and my dad when they're 30, and it's like, eh. I know we have to have the same word because it's the same biological relationship, but it's just not the same. So, you will find that being there for your son and being authentic with him is going to be hell. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, oh, it's going to be wonderful because you're a smart man and if it was wonderful, you wouldn't be calling, right? Yeah. It's going to be hell because everything, uh, this is the analogy that just popped into my head. Okay. So what I'm saying is, okay, here's what you need to do, man. You need to, Leave your wallet at home. Leave every form of payment you have at home. You need to go to a Lamborghini dealership, man, and you need to order top of the line. Whatever there's like, $200,000 car, quarter million dollar car. I have no idea, right? You need to go order a top of the line car and you need to say, I'm going to drive out with this today. And you need to say, I don't even need to test drive. I've done my research. I know exactly what I want. That red thing, that looks like a, cutting edge space shuttle suppository. That's the one that I want, right? Oh, that's $300,000. No problem. I'm telling you, go sign the paperwork. Sign the paperwork. And You say, well, Steph, how the fuck am I going to pay for a $300,000 Lamborghini? And I say, you know what? It's easy. You just reach into your pocket and the money will be there. That's what it sounds like when I say, go be a great parent. It's like, I, I, don't, I don't have the currency. I don't have the savings. I don't have the experience. I don't have the mentoring. I don't have the training. And I'm saying, no, 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 just just reach into your pocket. The money will be, will be that. I mean, if I was a financial advisor, that would be insane, right? Yeah. It's magic, but it is real. It is true. Every instinct that you have to be a great parent is already there. You reach into your pocket. You can pay. You can be the best. Because you know what it's like to be ignored and to be excluded and to be punished. And you know all of that. And you know how painful it is. So just don't do it. And it's not a whole lot more complicated than that. You've got to feel how painful it is. Of course, right? Because you got to be authentic, right? But everything that hurt you, like, we're. Okay, when was the last time you walked in a dark room and stubbed your toe?
2: Like, hard. The other day, actually. Okay, and before that? No, I couldn't remember.
0: It's been a while, right? Why? Because we don't do shit that hurts. We try and avoid that stuff, right? And so. I was... When you feel the pain of your childhood, you're like, oh, I'm not going to do that. I mean, do you not think that I felt a flash of power and, and like, after I said to my daughter, be careful, and she dropped something on and uh, dinged the shit out of the hardwood? You don't think I'm like, oh, 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 I got power. Oh, I could really grind her down for this, right? Of course, we're human. We have experiences. We know the language, right? But I know what it's like for a parent to put stupid stuff above my happiness, which is all stuff pretty much, right? You know what it's like to have a pool table be infinitely more important to your father than your tender trusting heart, particularly burning because you wanted to play pool with the guy and nobody would help you. You know exactly what it's like to be parented badly. And I felt that flash of my mom in me. (gasps) She holds out that apple, you know, like from the Garden of Eden. She holds out that apple. She tempts me. Oh, come on. You told her to be careful and she just dinged the shit out of the hardwood. Come on, be me be me. You know exactly what to do to be me. It's like, yep, and now I know exactly what to do to not be you, bitch. Never put your child below stuff. You know exactly because you know what it's like to be put below stuff. You know how awful it is. So just you don't do it. You know your dad's going to be crooking his finger probably for the rest of your life off and on. Mm Mm-hmm. Man, you got to work. You got to get to work. You got to be successful. You got to make money. Oh my god, something physical got damaged. You got to you got to show that kid. He your kid lied to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guess what? Kids lie. It happens. Adults lie. It happens. You know kids have never lied a country into starting a war in Iraq ever but only the kids get punished people who actually lie and start wars that kill a quarter million or 300,000 people people who start who lie and get hundreds of thousands of people killed they you know what they get they get fucking pensions and tv gigs but kids who lie out of terror because they scratch a little piece of wood they get punished like hell i I'll, I'll get mad at kids lying when fucking war criminals grow go to jail, but you know it's got nothing to do. I mean, it's all about power. It's got nothing to do with morals, right? Like, why? Why you know? Why do I get banished from social media? And countries, sorry, uh, uh, l- 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 big organizations and people who push the "fine people" hoax—the most destructive lie ever unleashed in American politics. Half the country worships a guy who worships Hitler. This is the lie, right? They, they're all perfectly fine, right? So, cause, because they, they pick on me because I have no power relative to the large organizations, right? I'm a, I'm a guy. I'm a dude, right? And, you know, they get mad at me, but, you know, I'll have entire articles written about what a bad guy I am. These big, brave people, they don't pick on the Chinese Communist Party for facilitating the unleashing of a virus that's killed a million and a half people, give or take, because the Chinese... Communist Party actually has power, whereas I'm a guy with a little studio in his house, right? So it's nothing to do with ethics or morals. It's just, it's just power. It's bullying, right? It's all it is. It's all it is. So, you know how to be a perfect parent. You know how to be a great parent. You just, you know it. You just gotta feel what it was, and you know, right? You know this, right? Because if you stopped drinking, when was the last time you had a drink?
2: Uh, it would have been two nights ago.
0: Two nights ago. How are you, how you doing?
2: Uh, withdrawal symptoms are setting in. Yeah, what, what what's happening? Uh, insomnia. Um, um, getting my vision back. <laughs> um, it's just fatigue. I'm extremely thirsty all the time. Like, uh, I don't know. Wait, so alcohol blurs your vision? Yeah, or I, I don't know if it, blur, it blurs my vision, but it also makes me unaware of my sense, my senses. So, all right. How so long like, do you think you'll be able to hold out? What I, I can't—I mean, with willpower, I can hold out, but I have to have a reason. Yeah, you got to get to the root, right? Right. Um, you got to get to the root. Like, I can, do you think? Do you think we got? Do you think we got close to the root, or do you think we got to the root
0: of of it today?
2: I mean, maybe I was circling the drain. A lot of the stuff I kind of thought of, but the way you framed the, you know, the show, I think. Could be extremely helpful in reviewing my behaviors and the way i feel about stuff when it happens um i already equated it to something that happened at work a month ago where i had a similar situation where an unintended accident occurred where i damaged something and then the customer was pissed at me and i like spiraled that week into a massive drinking frenzy to the point i was up all night like 4 a.m drinking uh,
0: right, to medicate yourself against too much anger at your dad? I, I might have been. Well, probably, right? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty easy to get mad at your dad in a just way, which is to imagine that um, you you have a babysitter, and the babysitter seems very nice and very positive and very friendly and all that, and then you come home and your son is, is weeping because your babysitter hit him and washed his mouth out with soap because he dropped a plate by accident. Um, What would you do? How would you feel? Uh, yeah, I would lose it. <laughs> Extreme rage, pretty quick. Right now, that's now. So, so, and you've heard me ask this question, but why? Why is your son more important than you? Why is he more worthy of protection than you?
2: I've heard this question. Why
0: would you it get hurts. more mad at what happened to your son than what happened to you? It fucking hurts. You're as important night. as your son. Yeah, you're 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 just as important as your son is, man. Your pain is just as important as your son's pain. If some one, hit your son. The anger that you feel and the desire to protect him is exactly what you should feel for yourself. You can't be a good parent and think you're less important than your children. You can't. How the hell are they going to look up to someone who thinks they're less important than they are? You are just as, you're, your childhood self is just as important and just as worthy of protection as your son. You know, if, if, listen, you and I both, though, the murderous feelings that we would have, if I found out that my mom had somehow beaten my daughter's head against the door, yeah. I, I don't even know how many fucking security guards it would take to hold me back, but it would be quite a few.
2: Yeah, you don't have to explain that to me.
0: You, I don't have to explain that to you, right? I don't have to explain that to you. So why on earth would I get so much more angry at my mother beating my daughter than beating me? Why? I'm just as important as she is. Why, why, why would I get so much more angry at that? Because if I get angry at that with my daughter, but not with myself or less angry, I'm saying I don't matter that much. And the moment I start saying I don't matter that much, I have to stop putting on a show. I have to stop putting on a show. I alienate myself from those around me. And my mom wins. Fuck her, I'm not going to let her win. I'm not going to let her keep her from protecting my younger self not going to let her keep her from being close to the people around me. And I can't be close to the people around me if I think I'm not important. Of course I'm important. I'm essential to them. They're essential to me. I'm essential to the world. You're essential to the world. And you have every right to be even more angry at how your father treated you than some imaginary person hurting your son because your father actually did that to you for years, and your stepmother and your mother for years. Can you imagine if someone took your daughter for a week and she came back with a giant fucking scar on her face, sorry, your son, and he came back with a giant scar on his face because there was a terrible injury, but they just couldn't be bothered to to take him to a hospital and get him stitched?
2: I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't catch all that stuff. I apologize. So,
0: no problem. So you told me that you have a scar on your forehead, right? Right, yeah. Because your mom couldn't be bothered to take you to, the, uh, do, to a doctor to get a gash stitched up, right? Right. Okay, now imagine your son is saying, staying with someone for a week and he comes back with a giant permanent scar because he got a terrible gash, and they couldn't be bothered to take him down the street to a doctor to get him stitched up.
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I would be exceptionally Okay, don't laugh, don't laugh, don't laugh,
0: don't laugh. Don't laugh, but you're as important as your son is. And how I feel with regards to you is how you feel with regards to your son. If you want to kick the drinking, in my humble opinion... If you want to maintain closeness with your son, if you want to be the best father, then you have to be as important to you as your son is to you. Your childhood protection and anger needs to be as important to you as your desire to keep your son safe. The anger you feel towards anyone who would harm your son has to be at least the same. your anger at people who harmed you when you were a child, when you were as helpless as your son is. Because you are as important as your son, and you can't lead him, and you can't be a father if you think that his pain is important, but yours is less important. Your pain matters as much as your son's. The anger that you feel towards your son's imaginary Abuse. It can't be less than the anger you feel towards your actual abuse. Otherwise, you don't matter. And then you can't lead him. And you can't be there for him. Because he's more important than you, and you become a kind of courtier or a serf or a slave to him. Just as your father was to his women. Oh, you want me to go beat up my kids? I'll go do that. He was like this dumb Terminator brute enforcer of her pettiness and anger. He was her slave. Because only her upset mattered. His didn't matter at all. And yours sure as hell didn't matter. Yeah, absolutely. You are as important as your son because you were his age and people mistreated you absolutely horrifyingly. You matter as much as he does. Do you, do you see what I mean?
2: <laughs> I, yeah, I, w- <laughs> I wish I could generate that anger that I have for these imaginary people harming my son that I have, that I should have for my childhood.
0: Oh, it's there. It's there, and I think that the drinking is to is to keep it down partly partly as well. You deserved every bit of protection, that you, give to your son. You deserved every bit of consideration that you give to your son. You have to matter. It's not even a choice anymore because you've become a father. You have to matter. You have to matter. You can't can't put it off anymore. You have to matter. He won't flourish if you don't matter. I guarantee you that. He will not flourish if you don't matter. Because he will grow up knowing that when he grows up, when he becomes an adult, when he becomes a father, he's not going to matter. His feelings, his history, it doesn't matter anymore.
2: I can't do that to him.
0: You have to matter. You have to matter. You have to matter. Do you, do you accept that you matter to me?
2: It's, it's really hard to say yes to, Steph.
0: Do you accept empirically? You know, screw your defenses, right? Do you accept empirically? We've been chatting almost three hours now. Do you accept empirically that you matter to me because you sent an emergency message, which I normally don't take or normally postpone till tomorrow. I put aside my plans for the evening with my family. I'm talking to you for three hours. Do you accept empirically that you matter to me?
2: Yes, and I appreciate that.
0: Okay I appreciate Go look it. at the chat window Okay Let's help people Come on Let's be a community here I know we are Let's talk to our friend here Let's talk to our friend here Okay Go look in the chat Call in feedback Okay You sound like a good guy Hero Work You matter You matter I really feel for you, someone says. You and your son matter. Don't let those fucks win. You are too great for that. I would hold your beer while playing video games and not give it back.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Old me would say that's fighting words. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. As a father, of course you matter. You are making the future We care and want to see you succeed. Your son will be proud that you got better for him. I mean, you've got a lot of people here listening to this conversation. You certainly matter to me. You matter to people who've given up hours of their evening to listen to this conversation, who care how you're going to do. And you're too bright a light to piss, uh, to piss out with booze. You're a hero. There are ways to improve the drinking withdrawals. Yeah, that's a medical question. I don't have anything to say about that, but I'm sure you know a lot about that. And you may want to consult with a doctor. And the fact that you are here in this wonderful forum shows you have friends and like minds who agree and support you. Holy fuck, dude, you matter a shitload. Someone says you're being so important by doing this call, raising a kid, wanting a chance. The wine must flow down the drain. (laughs) What, uh, I've got another few minutes, so let's, let's, let's finish up. What didn't work with the therapy, do you think?
2: Oh, um, they were hyper focused on making plans to f- to do stuff, but never really talked to me about my feelings or anything. Or they wanted me to, and they didn't. They just said generic shit. Like I, I, I didn't know what I was paying them for. Hmm. I mean, I could have had this conversation with myself in a mirror, like. <laughs>
0: Was it like uh, all the depth and insight of your average fortune cookie?
2: Yeah, uh, pretty much. Right. And one of the guys was a jerk. The alcohol specialist I talked to was useless. He was—he didn't like understand my questions, and I—I I, I was just like, I don't—I don't know. Like you're professional, dude. I know.
0: <laughs> well, I'm sorry about that. And um, yeah, not not certainly not all therapists are are, are great or even good. So
2: right. And I, I went through my medical provider. I probably should have sought out individuals more, but I just couldn't afford um I I, I can't afford that. So
0: do you uh I mean if you find a good therapist, would you accept some financial help
2: if you need it to to see that person? You know how hard that would be for me to accept that stuff.
0: Oh, I know. That's exactly why I'm offering it. I know exactly how hard it is. But I'm I'm perfectly happy to to offer it. Absolutely, I, completely overjoyed to offer
2: it. If I found some somebody and I needed it, I would. I would, and you will contact so you. You will, you will contact me.
0: Absolutely, we'll we'll make it happen. We'll make it. It's not even, not even a a um, not even a maybe. Just absolutely, absolutely, completely, and totally.
2: It's, it's so hard to accept help like that because, you know, it's a point of pride that I can make enough money for my family, but I can't make enough to support them and to fix myself or to make my, whatever, yeah, resolve my issues. No, I get that.
0: I get that. Listen, I mean, it's an investment. It's an investment. You're a listener to this show. Let's keep you this side of the ground, right? All right. And uh, it's for your son too? So, here's my to-dos. When you look at your son, think of yourself at that age and how much you need it. It's okay if you cry. It's okay if you cry. Your son needs you to be authentic and honest. Right? It doesn't mean you've got to sit down and diagram him out all the abuse and talk about pedophilia at age-inappropriate times or anything like that. But what I'm saying is that it's okay to be sad, and it's okay to be in tears with your son, right? Daddy's sad, you know. Um, I was thinking about sad things that happened to me as a child. That's perfectly fine. He's he's not going to be freaked out by that. He's got feelings. You've got feelings. That's how you connect, right? So you got to look at him, and you were that age. You were that vulnerable. You were that dependent, and you were treated very, very, very badly, terribly, abused, in almost every way, and just re- remind yourself: you look at him, you say, "I deserve as much protection as he does. I deserved as much protection as he does." And if anyone hurt him, I'd be incredibly angry. Or those same people hurt me, I'm incredibly angry because I can't, I can't mean less than the person I'm trying to raise. Otherwise I'll simply raise him to be meaningless. Like, you know, that's no good. You don't want that, right? You want you want to break that cycle. Right. You gotta you gotta mean something to yourself in order for your son to grow into a man who means something to himself. Because you can't teach what you don't know. And you certainly can't teach what you don't embody, right? Yeah. I was a, also, sorry,
2: go ahead. Uh, yeah, I I firmly believe he's he's a mirror of myself.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're doing incredible stuff. Like this is beautiful, heroic stuff. This is the real meat of raising the world, of raising the standards of the world. Now, the other thing is you gotta you gotta figure out what's going on with your wife, man. Right? Because if you just change without navigating her through this, uh, you know the, the the threat to the marriage is going to be pretty severe. Not because of meanness or maliciousness. It's just you know. You change things, right? It's like if you suddenly—I don't know—you, you, 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 your wife wakes up tomorrow and you've moved to Thailand permanently altogether. She'd be like, "What the hell? (laughs) Where are we? What's going on?" It's it's upsetting, right? So I think you know you've got to. I mean, the speech—I don't want to tell you what to say. The speech that pops in my mind is something like, "You know, you you married a guy. I don't want to be that guy anymore. That's really tough, right? You, You married a kind of guy." There was a lot that was cool about that guy. There was a lot that was desperate about that guy. That was a lot that was charismatic and popular about that guy. And he was great. He was he was the guy you want to run your party, man. I mean, he's the guy who could have made Fire Island actually happen. But I, I can't be that guy anymore. I can't I can't drink. Uh I, I mean, it's bad for my health, it's bad for my connection with my son. I gotta change. Now, the guy you were attracted to, the guy you dated, the guy we got you got engaged to, the guy you married. It's not like I'm going to become, I'm not flipping personalities, right? I'm not going to become a Swedish chef or a Japanese gardener. I'm like, I'm not changing everything about me, but I got to mix it up a little. I, you know, I don't want to be that, I don't want to be too enmeshed in that person, persona anymore. Now, right. that's a big change for me that, and it's going to be a big change for you. So where are you with, with change? What do you want to change? What would you like Better how do you feel about me changing? You know, how can I make this change easier or better for you? And help you understand, because, you know, I get distinct memories of telling you, I'm not going to live for long, you better become a vet assistant so you got an income for, like, what did you think when I was saying that? Like, I mean, how did we, how do we all get together? And and let's make sure we can build going forward. But I don't want this change to just be happening without conversation because that's seems like a pretty sure way to roll a grenade under the marital tent. Something like that. Like you got to figure out where she is, where where she, and and what in her history, because she's part of where you are. You've been together eleven years, right? Yeah. She's, She's she's a significant part of where you are. You know, some of the good for sure, take credit, right? Some of the bad though, you know, if she's not been helping you dismantle this show, oof. You know, it means she's kind of invested in the show and she's got to confront that in herself. And she has to some degree failed you because she has not been able to successfully intervene in a growing addiction. And that doesn't mean she's mean. It doesn't mean she's... It just means that there's something that's not quite clicking that is giving her the strength to help you in this way. And I'm sure she has the strength somewhere within her, but... You know, probably due to her childhood, which we didn't get into, but I assume it's not ideal, to put it mildly. Um, But she's got to also find a way to surmount that childhood so that, you know, she can be there for her son. And if you guys have kids, as I hope you will, she's going to have a daughter, and she's going to have that same-sex power over her daughter. And she's going to have to model something different than what she's been giving you, I think, in the long run.
2: Yeah. Um, she always says she's afraid of having a daughter. <laughs> that would make sense.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, she's, she, that's, that's a conversation topic. Cause you know, some of that's going to spill over to the sun too. Right. So.
2: Yeah. Um, do you know what she said when I told her I was going to have this call? What? She, she screamed no. <laughs> like, uh... Oh no. She's like, cause she's, um, I, I don't know if she'll listen to this cause she's listened to the show. Um,
0: you don't know if she'll listen to this.
2: Yeah, she. I asked her if she would listen to this call, and she said uh, she doesn't know. Because um
0: I would say she should listen to the call and listen. If she was to call in, I'd be happy to chat with her. I really, I'd be genuinely happy to chat with her. And you know, maybe she thought I'd throw her under the bus or she's a bad wife. And I'm not saying any of that. You understand? I hope. I, at yeah, least, I hope the... I haven't. Listen, there's that, some that was her concern. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm. I'm. I mean, you guys tell me in the chat. I mean. I think I've been fair. I don't think I've been throwing her under the bus. You know, I mean, you guys are parents now. I want you to stay together and, and be happy and be there for your, your kids and all of that. And so, um, yeah, I, I'd be happy to chat with her. And I absolutely promise I'm not going to throw her under the bus. Um, yeah, I, but it probably would be more concerned about how I might discuss her parents. Yeah.
2: Maybe she was concerned about, you know, he's like, what what if Steph convinces you something and then our marriage is over? And I'm like, I don't I don't think that's going to happen like that. That issue isn't uh, most of my issues are not with her at all. So. Uh, well, yeah. Tell, tell her that. Uh, tell her for
0: me that she has my distinct sympathy. Um, and. I respect the fact that she's, I mean, I won't say allowed, like she's in control, but, you know, she certainly didn't prevent the phone call from happening. She didn't say, you called that son of a bitch and I'm leaving you or anything like that. And I I completely understand her anxiety. I really do. I really do. And uh, I'm, I'm only here to try and bring philosophy to the people. And she's one of the people. And if she would like to chat, I would be more than happy to have a conversation with her and she can get it from the horse's mouth. But yeah, I think she should you know i think she should uh she should listen to the call i mean i really think she should and that that's my strong suggestion and there's nothing in it that's that's uh, a yearning burning critical of her yeah all, all right now will you will you keep you how are you feeling how are you feeling now i know this is not some big lightning bolt that cures everything but but how was the conversation for you as a whole
2: like i said it's you know looking at it from the perspective of the show that that helps um emotionally i'm you know this. All this talking about this stuff really tears me up. I don't. I mean, I've been crying half the time. So, <laughs> I'm kind of tired now. So it's hard for me to you know, give you a full analysis.
0: Well, I mean, I mean that's that shows great sensitivity and great strength, and uh, I think that's uh, again part of the the heroism. So, and you know, at some point your son's going to listen to this, and you think you're crying. You wait for him, man. Like knowing what a great dad you came, you became, from where you started. You, you, have no idea how much he's going to respect you for that. So, um, I appreciate the call, and you will keep me posted. And of course, I say this because you have uh, some self-destructive thoughts. If you feel like harming yourself or anything like that, please, 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 I just beg you to promise me you're going to call a hotline. You're going to get in touch with someone who can really help. Because you know, I'm just a philosopher dude on the internet, right? So. Um, if you do have any thoughts about that, I mean, will you promise me you will call someone and you will get sort of immediate help for that? Yes. Okay. And will you keep me posted and will you give me the honor of helping you if you find a good therapist or if anyone has suggested a good therapist uh, who would be able to help? Because you can get people remotely as well, too. Will you give me the honor? I know this sounds ridiculous. Will you give me the honor of helping you out with that? It would be my <laughs> absolute honor.
2: As much as, it, as much as it's hard for me to say yes, uh, yes, Steph, I I will uh, gladly accept your help and I appreciate it.
0: Good, good. Okay. Okay, good. Well, uh, thanks everyone for listening in tonight. I know we had talked about another topic this evening. I hope you guys will forgive me uh, if I don't pursue it. We will try and do it uh, either tomorrow night or, or Saturday. I know we had another um, topic which we're going to talk about, the uh, moderation and on, on so on, but I hope you'll forgive me, Uh, this went a little longer, and I really appreciate everyone's feedback and thoughts, I love you guys so much, it is uh, an immense and amazing honor to be part of these conversations, and uh, keep me posted my friend, keep us up to date daily if that helps you, and uh, really do give a big hug to your son for me, and all my very best to your wife, have a great evening everyone, I'll talk to you soon.